Big Dumb Movie is a comedic podcast that often contains obscene language and outlandish commentary. Listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to Big Dumb Movie, where we discuss movies of the Big Dumb variety. I'm your host, Corey, and today I'm joined by three men, three men who understand the meaning of the word pals. First up, Dirty Steve. Howdy. <laughs> Next up, Buckshot Josh Kinney. We got ourselves a tribe and they ain't nothing stronger than that. <laughs> and lastly, joining us for the first time from Podcast Spoilers... Brother Jordan the Kid. Can you hear me tipping my hat right now? Just a little <laughs> hat tip. I thought that was all. a Pac-Man ghost. <laughs> <laughs> Good to have you guys on. We are here to talk about the 1988 film Young Guns, directed by Christopher Kane. For those that don't know, that's the asshole that brought us the next Karate, Karate Kid. Kid. Yeah. The only other thing I knew about his resume was that movie. Yeah. It's up there. Ugh. But let's talk Westerns for a sec. Josh, do you like Westerns? Are there certain Westerns that you prefer over others? Like, what's your uh, yeah. take on the genre? Oh, so I'm Josh from Spoilers, which is a pretty cool podcast. We've done a lot of these. The good, the bad, and the ugly is like just classically okay. one of my favorites. <laughs> and I don't okay. like Westerns that are a lot of like torture porn. You know what I mean? Like, like here we go. Tom Saw, Tomahawk. Don't, whatever that movie is where they just like cut people in half or whatever like I don't like that shit bone saw tomahawk bone saw tomahawk <laughs> it's just bone tomahawk and it's a good fucking movie fuck you <laughs> dude <laughs> but honestly I really like Young Guns a lot and I would if, if anyone on the street was asking me about westerns I would definitely mention Young Guns in my first two or three answers <laughs> Like two people on the street talking westerns, you'll pop up. Have you seen Young Guns? No, it'd be more like, hey man, what do you think about westerns? Get in here. And I'm like, oh, Young Guns. And one and two. Yeah, one guy has like a boom box on his shoulder. Hey man, get in here. Get in on this Young Guns action. This happens normally, by the way. Yeah, this is just life out here, you know? Right? If you live in California, everyone's wearing tie-dye and, uh, you know, surfing and breakdancing. They're starting to again. It's the 30-year thing. It's coming back. It's true. Man, I can't wait for the 80s. I mean, I guess they're already sort of back, but I just want the 80s to be back in full force. Gross. Oh, God, you're terrible. (laughs) What are some Westerns you like? Clint Eastwood's Unforgiven. One of my all-time favorites, Sergio Leone's How the West Was Won, top of the list as well. Uh, the Man with No Name trilogy, those are all very good. The remake of 310 to Yuma is really good. Oh, the, um, oh, now, of course, I'd blank on the name right in the middle of the discussion. They remade the movie about Rooster Cogburn with Jeff Bridges. True Grit. True Grit, thank you. That was fantastic. It's another one of my favorites. Um, I am a Westerns fan, a Western fan. Tombstone, obviously, very high on the list as well. This movie would probably be on my list, but no insult intended. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't be at the top. Those a lot of those other films would be at the top for me. But this one was, was fun to rewatch. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of Tombstone, that one is probably my all-time favorite Western. Goat. I know it's a little corny, but it's corny in the way that this movie is corny. And uh, for me, I either like the corny '80s and '90s westerns, right? Or I like the modern, like, I don't know what to call it. There's, like, a weird take on Westerns nowadays. Like, <laughs> right. I, I do really like Bone Tomahawk, which 
to me is also kind of like the spiritual sequel of Tombstone in a way. Like I connect them together. Tombstone you know. is a very good one. What was the name? The Proposition. I don't know if you guys know. It's an Australian Western. It's a really good movie. I think that's what it's called. The Proposition. Australian Western. Yeah, it was. It's about you know same era but outback Australia. And it's basically about a guy, a criminal, who gets coerced into killing someone else to get himself out of trouble. It's a really good movie. Hmm. Uh, Um, I had another one in mind. It was the uh, Brad Pitt, Jesse James movie. It has, like, the long name, like, the the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford Mm -hmm. or whatever. That's a very good film as well. It is. It's a weird movie, isn't it? Yeah. It's, like, a strange movie. It's not what you would... Maybe expect if you if you're saying to someone I'm gonna go see a western like they have something in their mind right. that movie is not that no like it's not your knee jerk reaction to that no because that's really a people story set in the wild west it's not a, yeah you're right it's, there's no chases there's no bank robberies no one's trying to go after a chain you know or train yeah. I mean I mean there's a little bit of that but it's not what the movie's really about. And I know I've been going on and on, but one more. The extended version of The Hateful Eight. I fucking love that. It's like oh, a mini series. Yeah, I love that movie. That's that, it. that was well done. What, do, you guys, do you guys like John Wayne movies? Because I don't, I'm not really. I like Westerns, but the John nah. Wayne stuff never did it for me. Yeah. Not really. Nah. Right. Jordan. Jordan the kid, the youngest member yes. of our regulators. <laughs> Hold on a second. Jordan and I's Mount dad up. Mount up. has watched so many Westerns. Can we get a shout out to Jeff Long, our papa? He sleeps, oh, he falls boy. asleep watching John Wayne like every single night. <laughs> like, it's absurd. When he's not playing Fortnite. It's after Fortnite. No, no, it's during and after. <laughs> it's just on his iPad to the side. <laughs> yeah, when you play Fortnite with him, you can hear the Westerns in the background. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what are some Western movies you like, Jordan? You guys have already named most of them. I mean, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly is a classic. I, I think one that... It should count as a Western, but Django Unchained, I feel like recently is like a Western type movie and is one of my favorite movies of probably the last 10 years. Um, it's a good movie. I can see that. It's really good. That's my yeah, not, favorite Tarantino movie, I think. Hmm. I think so, too. And it's got that Western feel, that kind of gunslinger thing. But this is this is right up there with Tombstone for me and Django of the last, well, of, of all Western movies, I guess. Jordan, did you grow up on Young Guns? Does that have, like, meaning to you? Yes. I mean, <laughs> as as Brother Josh mentioned, there were a lot of Westerns happening in the, in the Long household as we grew up. And this was one that was, at the time, I mean, like, early 2000s was, like, somewhat recent. So it wasn't just, like, terrible quality. And I feel like played often in our household. Yeah, I I would say it's a, a a bona fide classic of our house. Josh can confirm. Yeah, I mean, when I was thinking about doing this podcast, I was thinking about trying to do the whole thing only in Young Guns quotes, and I thought that would just be really irritating oh after a while. But yes, <laughs> and confusing for some. Well, if we get caught, Charlie, we're gonna hang. But there's many a slip twixt a cup and a lip. Many a slip. That's what Josh says on weekends when he doesn't want to talk. Many a slip between a cup and a lip. Just that. <laughs> There's. I mean, if we're going to go through the movie, I'm sure we're going to get to a lot of them. I don't want to just spot off <laughs> quotes for like 10 minutes to start this thing out, but I could. Well, I'll say this. I watched Young Guns a lot as a kid, but mostly because my brother, Tyler, 
was obsessed with with the Young Guns movies. Like, both of them. They were playing in our household a lot, and they weren't being played by me, although I did enjoy them. But, man, my brother, shout out to Tyler if you're listening, because... Brother Tyler. (laughs) Brother Tyler, man. But also, Young Guns 2 was one of the first movies I saw in a in-theater experience, which was in a drive-in theater. I think I was uh, five Mm. or four. So, yeah, my parents took me... They used to take me to movies all the time. They took me to see Batman 89 when I was, like, four, so... Young Guns 2 definitely had an impact for me because I always have this like vague memory of it, like just the vaguest of memories being in the car. But what about you, Steve? Yeah, I mean, this one, Westerns played a lot in my house. My mother was was huge and just like Southwest culture and cowboy culture, Native American stuff and and Mexican-American culture, Mexican culture as well. And um, so we spent a lot of time like in New Mexico and Arizona, Colorado when I was growing up and Westerns were just constantly playing at my house. This one wasn't on all the time, but it, it pretty much any time I saw it on one of the movie channels, I'd watch through it. I, would, I think my mother enjoyed it as well. I think we watched others more often, but definitely... I, I think my first exposure to it, I must have been uh, six or seven, a year or two after it came out on a movie channel. And from there, definitely several viewings ensued over a period of years. I liked it. You know. Awesome. Yeah. Steve, do you happen to know how the hell this movie was made? <laughs> <laughs> I know a bit about the background in regards to the events that this film is based on. I'll it's, take it. Right? Um, <laughs> it, the movie is really... I'll try to give us the most concise version I can here. You know, I like to talk uh, because I do love the sound of my own voice. But um, the movie's based mostly on on events referred to as the Lincoln County War. Um, That began in Lincoln County, New Mexico Territory. It was a territory. It wasn't a state yet at that point. This began as a competition uh, for profits between people who were invested in dry good and cattle businesses. One faction was run by a guy named James Dolan, who was already well-established in this area. One of his main competitors was a a more recent arrival to Lincoln County, New Mexico Territory, a guy named uh, John Tunstall, who was English, who was portrayed in this movie. Oh. Right? The two of them them began uh, competing around 1876. Both sides accrued almost a gang for themselves, but it was really interesting because both sides got a lot of support from local lawmen, businessmen, even criminal gangs, the Dolan faction, uh, which is the bad faction, and this movie was was led by uh, Jack Palance's character, who's really a different guy, but Dolan faction was allied with, with the Lincoln County Sheriff, uh, whose name was Brady, and also with a gang called the Jesse Evans Gang. Uh, Tunstall, the English guy, he had a big gang of his own that included local politicians and a deputy U.S. Marshal, plus he had his own posse of armed men, who he called the Lincoln County Regulators, who are the group of people that this movie is is most built around. A regulator was basically a a private armed security person. They were hired often to guard uh, cattle or oil. They were often hired by railroad barons to guard trains or railroad stations or tracks. They were basically there to stop theft from happening. They also often acted as muscle in some of the more corrupt organizations. Regulators would basically just be sent out to kill people on behalf of their bosses. So... Basically, businessmen in the West, they hired a bunch of armed, like, mercenary dudes to kind of, like, permanently work for them, and that was their regulators? Yeah, exactly, yeah. I mean, and I think there was some ebb and flow. Some of these guys may come and go, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's that's the way it was. Um, well, I have a question, too. Was it, yeah. it was it English versus Irish, like, 
like it is in the movie? A little bit, yeah. So the guy, the the character played by Polance in the movie. Murphy. Murphy, thank you, yeah. He he was, in real life, he was around, but his role was a little different. That guy, though, was, I think, the son or grandson of Irish immigrants. So there was definitely a little bit of Irish versus English sentiment between the two of them. But at this point, it's supposed to be 1878. So it's like 100 years after the Revolutionary War. So I, I think I, I think that was something they played up maybe a little bit more for the sake of the movie than was the re- reality at that point. I think 100 years after the Revolutionary War, Americans weren't that concerned really with what English people were doing. But um, just my perspective, yeah. Hmm. So the, the two of them, uh, the English guy, uh, Tunstall, thank you, Tunstall, uh, starts fighting with this, this Dolan guy. That turns into a huge fight. They both have gangs on their side. Eventually, uh, one of these gangs, one of these groups of regulators murders Tunstall, which sets his regulators off, and uh, they go about trying to get revenge on him. Billy the Kid, the man popularly known as Billy the Kid, who is not really named Billy the Kid, he eventually kills a guy named named Sheriff Brady. This plays out in the movie, and that turns into a manhunt for him that eventually leads to his death. But yeah, so this this whole story is built around this Lincoln County War and Tunstall's regulators basically going out for revenge after his his rivals murdered him. Can I add a little bit of color to that Brady murder? Because yeah, it yeah, sounded ahead. crazy when I was reading about it. It was actually like six on five or something like right. that. And they killed Brady pretty much right away. Like hit him like 12 times. And like a couple of the other deputies were like wounded and taking cover. And Billy the Kid and one other member raced out to the body like in the middle of the street to recover like Billy the Kid's rifle that Brady had stolen from him previously (laughs) so like they got it and then they both got shot in the legs on their way back (laughs) like survived after they made him reap the whirlwind (laughs) reap the whirlwind Sheriff Brady reap it there's a lot of reaping going on in this time period, as Stevie oh, has pointed yeah. out. And th- this this conflict, this war has been fictionalized in some other movies as well. A famous director named Sam Peckinpah is also very well known for his westerns, did one called Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. There's another movie, The Left-Handed Gun, Chisholm with John Wayne, and this one were all based at least loosely on events surrounding the... Uh, the Lincoln County War. One of them had that song knocking on heaven's door. <laughs> right, yes. Oh, boy. So, yeah, so this is, I, I think, you know, there's a lot of fictionalization going on here, but uh, one, I don't remember the guy's name, one historian apparently did refer to this film as being among the more accurate de- depictions. Not entirely accurate, but at least in, in, in overall terms. Somewhat. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, me watching it, this time around, I was just thinking, like, I bet none of this shit happened. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think there were, like, 40 regulators versus, like, the six in this. And that's a pretty big difference. Huh. Yeah. It's 100 against 40. <laughs> <laughs> they do kind of nod to that in that scene because somebody on the outside is like, there's 30 or 40 of them guys in there. <laughs> and they're looking around. It's just, like, like the four right, of them. Right now? No, in real life. Not in, not in the events of this movie. <laughs> And this is these events are really what made uh, Billy the Kid famous. Well, the regulators were running around fighting this fight. Billy got a lot of the press, and uh, they sort of play on that in the film, and, and that's really what made him more famous than anything else he ever did. And uh, the fallout from this eventually resulted in his being killed by Pat Garrett. Have you guys seen the picture of Billy the Kid, the famous picture? Yeah. 
He looks like a dumb fucking idiot. Yeah, he's he an does. ugly boy. He looks like a dope. It's really weird. He doesn't look like Emilio Estevez. What do you mean? Right? <laughs> but they do. There was a, a long held belief that Billy, whose name was not Billy, but anyway. There's he a long, changed his name. Yeah. His real name was Henry, Henry McCarty or McCready. I and think. then he changed it again yeah. a few times. They kind of right. shot that out in the early, like the, one of the first uh, articles that Doc reads. It's like yeah. Henry McCarty, a.k.a. Yeah. William H. Bonnie. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was cool, too. A local miner has identified the kid as one Henry McCarty, also known as William H. Bonney, 19 or 20. In a flaming shootout, the kid, Billy, killed Mr. Hill, then took on an onslaught of Hill partisans, bringing the damage to six verified slayings. Bonnie is believed to be the captain of a deputized gang. Captain? And, uh, but the, the photograph you're talking about, the one they spoof in this movie, is the reason people thought he was left-handed. That picture was taken on a tin-type camera and b- oh. without getting technical because of the way those work, they reversed the image. So he'd been holding the rifle in his right hand, but it got reversed for the picture, and that's the picture that became public. <laughs> so people, right? People for decades believed he was left-handed. There's so, even a moment so in the movie where... Right. There's even a moment in the movie where he reads that and Emilio Estevez reads it in the article and goes, I'm not left handed. Ooh, I love these <laughs> shout outs. They're awesome. Right. Within the last like great. year and a half, they've discovered what they're pretty sure is another picture, by the way. He's playing croquet and he's just as ugly as we all thought he'd be. Right. He's like really small. It's a, it's a pretty crappy picture. But I love that the boomers of that generation, like they didn't know how technology works, so they, they, they thought he was left-handed. <laughs> right, yeah. Because that was what got published in the papers, and everyone was like, oh, he's left-handed, right? You know, it's so funny. But yeah, and it, it's weird to think. I mean, he this whole thing, this whole Lincoln County War played out over the course of, I think, slightly less than a year. He was dead within a year or so of it ending, and he was only 21 when he got killed. So, I mean, he really rose to fame, this prominent Western figure, over a really short period of time and then died as a 21-year-old. It's kind of crazy to think about. He's a cultural icon. Almost anybody who grew up in the United States has heard the name Billy the Kid. Like, yeah, I mean, we've all seen Bill and Ted. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> He's almost like an anachronism for, I don't know, millions or tens of thousands of loser cowboys who just, like, died in the saddle or out in the desert or getting hacked on or whatever. Like, no <laughs> yeah. one else is known as him. It's, it is kind of bizarre why it, it all focuses on him so often. Yeah, you're right. Most of the others who were even remotely as well-known or more well-known for their successes or their showmanship, like Wild Bill Hickok, you know, or Pat Garrett, the, the guy who killed Billy. And man, even then, and then there was, um, oh, no, I'm forgetting her name. There's a very famous female cowgirl who was known as a trick shooter. She was great. But yeah, and White Earp. White Earp was very famous in his day. Colin Farrell. <laughs> right, Colin Farrell, you know, huge, hugely <laughs> popular cowboy. <laughs> Annie Oakley. Thank you. Couldn't think of her name. Annie Oakley. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. yeah it, it's just interesting. It's interesting how those kinds of cultural icons sort of leak out in various different cultures. There's, you look at um, uh, Japanese, they're equivalent to the Wild West, like like the the feudal period, the Edo era, and they've got samurai that they, there's like Musashi Miyamoto, you know, and you, it's funny, you go into Japanese restaurants here in the US and they'll sometimes have silk screens of him or, or mm. ukiyo-e paint, paintings of him. Americans don't usually know who he is. It's a frenzied-looking samurai dude with crazy hair who's carrying two swords. But in Japanese culture, he's at least as important as Billy the Kid. That guy is a major historical icon. Uh. Nice. <laughs> well, let's dive into the movie <laughs> Young Guns. What, what say you? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Josh, the opening of this movie... 
the actor intro. Is this cool or is this stupid as fuck? <laughs> oh my god, yeah. Cool, cool, cool. It goes from cool, <laughs> it, it bounces back and forth, just to be 100% honest. <laughs> yeah. I don't really particularly like this heavy, heavy grain effect they have going on. It actually like distorts their faces in weird ways. Um, it does. There's a moment where like on the beat, they all start shooting, and that's kind of cool. But then they just like pan back and forth like four or five more times to like the same shot of them shooting, and that's not so cool, man. So th- that's <laughs> I have thought a lot about this. That's kind of where I stand. Is this is it made for children? <laughs> yes. This is a four quadrant <laughs> introduction. <laughs> I, I I agree with you. I, I one thing I did notice. It doesn't fix anything, really. Is that like I actually paid to see this? I actually found somewhere I could pay to watch what was supposed to be a good copy of it, and like the the video was really poor quality for by modern standards. It was barely DVD. I think I think it made the grainy stuff look even worse. But even with that being said, yeah, it was bad. Really goofy, awkward. Is that because some secret state entity is trying to actively hide this movie, Steve? <laughs> What's <laughs> happening here? Because we were talking I, about this before I, the pod. Right? Yeah, I, I just, it must have just fallen out of popularity to the point where no one's really interested. It was released on DVD, but I get the impression that was the last time the anyone did anything with it. And even the transfer from the DVD looks like something they pulled from a VHS. Like, it, I, it just seems like a movie that was really popular for a handful of years, and now nobody gives cares enough about to to want to, like, help it. <laughs> Young Guns 2021 remastered. Right. <laughs> On Spotify, you look up the soundtrack, and there's no listed soundtrack. Not even a handmade, like, user one for Young Guns 1. But, really? But there's, like, wow. three for Young Guns 2. I, I don't understand. Well, Young Guns 2 had, like, some famous musician attached. I don't remember who. It was was like... it Axl Rose or something? No, they both have Bon Jovi. Both movies do. Bon right. Jovi. But he's Bon Jovi did the music in this one too. Well, he, he, his song is featured, but okay. Maybe he was more attached to like the full soundtrack in the second one, so maybe that is like his estate kind of pushing that or something. That's a good idea. <laughs> well, after our um, debatably silly intro, Steve, we do get to meet Billy, who kind of bumps into doc and mr tunstall maybe you can kind of tell us like what unfolds and where he ends up it just makes the opening even more awkward the only thing they've got is the actual opening as was just you know we were just talking about it it's just like a weird grainy shot of them it introduces the actors with their character names and just has them firing their guns into nothing and then the next scene from there is just all of a sudden we're on the street with with mr tunstall the englishman I think worth noting, he was like 24 years old when he got, I think 24 or 27 when he got killed. Movies always make him way older than he really was. Anyway, so he's riding around with um, Kiefer Sutherland's character. Doc, Doc Skurlock. Thank you, Doc. They're in, a, they're in town in a wagon uh, running errands. They don't really specify exactly what the two of them are doing in town. It's kind of an unimportant detail. and Grabbing um, a dram. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're about, that's right. They are about to go have, have a dram. It's a very English way of putting it. <laughs> no. I say we stop off at Juan Patron's for one jolly big dram and one ginger beer with a dollop of whipped cream. Who gets the whiskey? Ah, seniority doc. The one closest to coffee. Anyway, if I buy you a dram, you must promise not to tell the other boys. It's a promise. Well, Steve, I think it's clear that he kind of takes the guys out one at a time to, like, bond and really get to know them. Like, if you want to dive deep on, like, character reasonings, I would say, like, later we see him kind of, like, buying billy a pocket watch and i think 
some other items too, right? Wouldn't you agree with and that? Armani suit. I mean, yeah, yeah I, I, I think I agree with you in the sense that it's clear that he definitely does that. I sort of got the impression that they'd had some errand to run and that the, the drink was kind of like like the, the, the little extra that, that John was yeah. throwing at. But, but I do agree with the point you're making. He does, you're right, he does make a point in other scenes to try to spend a little time with each of them and, he, you know, get them a little bit of personal encouragement. So that's definitely part of it. Mm. So they're, they're at least discussing the possibility of getting a drink. And to your point, he does tell Doc, you know, if I buy you a little whiskey, you can't tell the other guys. <laughs> Don't tell Steve in particular. <laughs> Don't tell Dirty Steve. He will go off. <laughs> I would, too. Where's my whiskey? <laughs> but uh, All Steves are the same. Right? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. We're all dirty. Uh, um, so, yeah. The, and then... Uh, Billy, Billy comes running out of a building. Did you guys notice? I should have rewatched the scene, but I, he's, he's clearly robbing something, but I couldn't tell if it was meant to be a general store or a bank or what. It's just he's running away with something he stole. I used to think that, and now I think reading on his history, I bet what they're portraying here is him having broken out of jail, right? So that would kind of explain why people are on the look for him like so instantly, and... I would like someone else to explain why Murphy happens to also be there just like basically jerking off to the <laughs> thought of another like kid getting hung out back or something. <laughs> He's just like smiling looking at the scene. He loves it. That evil fucking <laughs> bastard. I mean obviously the movie doesn't have to be completely accurate. I didn't think he because I know that he ended up back in New Mexico after he sprang a prison in Arizona. But I didn't think at that point he would have been in jail in New Mexico. I, whatever, either way. Yeah, maybe maybe that is what it is. He's, he's escaping jail or he's stolen something. He's done something people are pissed off about. Now they're after him, right? Yep. John and Doc are there and basically decide to pick him up and take him with him because John Tunstall immediately identifies that uh, Billy is a is a, a youth in need of some some guidance and some counseling and maybe a pocket watch. <laughs> And a nice suit. And a cool hat. And a nice suit. Yeah, that's right. The nickname. Get him a little bull. John Tunstall's the guy that's like in charge of all the young men in this movie, the regulators. Uh, again, like it was mentioned, he, he kind of just takes in people that are like maybe vaguely criminals or full-on criminals or on the run, homeless. We work for Mr. Tunstall as regulators. We regulate any stealing of his property. We're damn good, too. Mr. Tunstall's got a soft spot for runaways, derelicts, vagrant types. But you can't be any geek off the street. Gotta be handy with the steel, if you know what I mean, earn you keep. But he basically takes him in. Brother Jordan, maybe you can uh, intro each of the regulators, because Billy gets to meet him pretty soon. And uh, maybe you can tell us about him. Oh, boy. All right. So we have... Uh... Oh, man, where do you even start? I guess we start with Lou Diamond Phillips, who handsome as ever. How did he not have more of a career? I know. <sighs> La Bamba was a big movie, but yeah. Well, uh, uh, real Oof. quick, two things about that. Number one, apparently the crew would, uh, the cast would get drunk together some nights after shooting, and they were constantly forcing him to sing La Bamba because he'd been in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> as you do, right? And number two, apparently when he got called in by the producers, he thought he was there for an audition, and it turned out that they had already decided they wanted him. So there was this really mm. awkward exchange where he was sitting there waiting for somebody to start feeding him lines. And then the producer was just like, well, what do you think? And Lou was like, well, what do you mean? And they're like, well, do you want the part or not? And it's like, he's like, oh, all right. Yes. 
Give me the part in this classic Western. All right. Lou Diamond Phillips is Chavez. The Mexican Indian is what he calls himself. Yeah, Mexican Indian, you son of a bitch. <laughs> Based on a real life, half Spanish, half uh, Native American person named Chavez Chavez. You want to play games, Pendejo? You're a red-ass Mexican greaser. You do it with your horse. <laughs> Mexican greaser! Come here, you little white chicken greaser, shit. Greaser! Greaser! Come on, greaser! Cut me in! Hey! Hey! Knock it off! I'm behind the horse. Knock it off! That's it! Hey! Cut me there, Mexican! Cut me there, Mexican! Come on! Hey! Knock it off! You know better, Chavez! Navajo! Navajo! Enough! Chavez, Chavez. He's a knives guy, right? Yeah. He's a, he's a knife guy throwing knives. He was my dude when I first saw this movie, and I actually ended up practicing some throwing knives in the backyard of the long <laughs> yeah. household it was great doc we already kind of met him he helps pick up uh billy the kid Kiefer tunstall dick charlie sheen is kind of a dick the leader the <laughs> dick of the group very straight laced charlie sheen right like you're yeah it's you're not your typical charlie sheen <laughs> Uh, if you kind of like rewind, uh, there's a lot of people that probably like wouldn't understand if you saw him being like the controlled one of the group after seeing his antics of the last 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what the great part is, is Sean Penn was apparently in line for one of these parts and ended up having to back out because he was having so many legal problems at the time. And like then they ended up with Charlie Sheen, who turned out to be even worse than Sean Penn. We need someone with less legal trouble. Right. Let's get Charlie Sheen. <laughs> Who would Sean Penn have like gotten in there for? For Charlie instead? Like the leader? Oh. Jordan, you know this about me already, but my hot take is I think Charlie Sheen's kind of good in this movie and I like his character. <laughs> he has like four bad. lines. How can you tell he's good? Yeah, I see. I kind of agree with both of you. I didn't think he was bad, but I also didn't think his part really allowed for him to do a whole lot. So, <laughs> so uh. okay, Josh. I, you think he's good, but he literally has, as Steve said, four lines, and those are your favorite four lines of the entire movie. <laughs> he does go out way more quickly than you'd think. Like, I hadn't seen this movie in seven or eight years when I rewatched it, and I'm like, wow, he dies way earlier than I remembered. <laughs> he's stern, right? And he's the leader? If yeah. there's if there's one line that Josh repeats from this movie, it's, what'd you kill him for? <laughs> yeah, Billy, what'd you kill him for? <laughs> That's Dirty Steve. Dermot Mulroney. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. <sighs> you ever worked beef before, Billy? Yeah. Worked a little out Fort Sumner way. Pete Maxwell's place. Did the chow line. And, uh... I got away with cattle. That's so jolly funny, Master Stephen. That's no proper table manners. I got away with hogs. Congratulations, Charles. You and Stephen will be doing the dirty crockery alone this evening. <clears throat> Sorry, John, it struck me funny. And to William, both of you. Apologies, William. Just hacking on you, that's all. Yeah, we was just hacking on you. Okay. It's true that Charlie Sheen starts that conversation. This is kind of coming up next, Corey, if you want to keep moving on in the plot. But yeah. the dinner scene in general, I would just say, is very famous in the long household. Yes. Oh, ours too, man. Like, at my house, for sure. Like, the, my little brother, like... 
would point out every detail of that scene to me. He'd be like, well, watch Chavez's face when he says it. And like Chavez like cracks a smile. LDP is just laughing in the background the whole time. <laughs> Rumor has it you killed a man, Billy. You don't seem like the killing sort. Yeah, Billy, what you kill him for? He was hacking on me. Um, we got to mention Jack Palance. Yes. Who played the Lawrence Murphy here just because he'd been around for decades and he was in everything. He was one of the villains in Batman. He Grissom. Was, right, Grissom. Yeah, he was curly in the City Slickers movies. Like, he was awesome. He was so great in so many movies. And, like, I was also, I, I'm going to make this a real quick side note, but I was thinking about what if they remade this? Who could play these parts now? And he's the only mm. one I made a definitive decision about, but I know exactly who I want to play him. And I bet you could guess first try who it is. Uh, or close anyway. Yeah, it's got to be Daniel Day-Lewis. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you want to make really the best movie of all time. Then. <laughs> right? I really sincerely believe he's the greatest living actor. Honest to God, well, I mean that. That can't be true because he's not an actor anymore. What is he, like a potter? He's still an actor. Retired no, like, or not, he's still he's an like actor. He's like fucking making fishing boats or whatever. Yeah. He was God. doing that before... before uh, God damn it. The guy who directed games is Scorsese. Scorsese had to go find him in Italy. He was living by some lake somewhere carving boats. And it was like a two, it was like two years of begging him. And then he finally took the part. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here, Scorsese. Right? It's all it's all method. He's retiring as method. <laughs> Can you imagine being in that position where Martin Scorsese spends multiple years begging <laughs> you to do a movie and you keep telling him to fuck off? Like, the balls that must take. God damn. Uh, Speaking of English versus Irish. Right? <laughs> uh. Now, I do quite enjoy uh, the dinner scene, Josh. I like when Billy's getting hacked on. You know, he's a, he's a standout from the other guys because they're all kind of like maybe criminals or, um, I don't know, just some, in some cases derelict scholars. But I think it's evident that, like, he's a little bit tougher than them. Like, you know, he's... He's shot people before. I think interestingly in a movie that makes a point to talk about how he's wrongly given credit for things, this is kind of where the movie itself starts giving him superpowers, right? He's like more educated, can read better than everyone. He really knows how to like deliver a two-part joke on the sly at the table. <laughs> he's like instantly uh, Tunstall's favorite almost, right? And it's got to be something that these guys have been like kind of silently competing for ever since they started working there. Right. He's probably the most handsome. Easily. I mean, well, there, there's some handsome gentlemen there, but <laughs> he's up there. What? Lou Diamond Phillips is in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> he's got some great locks, Lou Diamond Phillips. Uh, Good hair, man. Good everything. He does. What makes Charlie Sheen think that Billy's not the killing sort, though? Because it seems like that dinner takes place like the first or second night. Like, what's he basing oh this God. on? <laughs> yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't watch him with the pigs, apparently, because Billy <laughs> Billy handles all his problems with a gun. Right. Like we learned that. When it seems like at that point in history, especially, you see another young guy who's kind of rough and tumble and carries a six shooter like. Sure, there's a huge chance he's just full of hot wind and won't do anything, but you've got to figure there's at least some real possibility that he really is what he says he is and he'll just kill you. So probably don't instigate until you know which it is. <laughs> the killing sort. Right. Don't hack on him. That's yeah, don't for... hack on him. What'd you kill him for? Hacking yeah, on me. Kill him for. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
Steve, we see a little bit of the feud between Murphy and uh, Tunstall, right? right? We see a little bit of a confrontation. Did you enjoy that scene to kind of like build it up? I think the political corruption is kind of exposed. Yeah, I, I like that scene mostly because it gives Polance a chance to just be Polance. I, I like him, but I will also admit he kind of just did... It's very De Niro-esque in that regard. He was basically just doing him in every part he played. It's an important job. I need someone I can trust. You are my number one guy. <laughs> like... Um, you are my number one guy (laughs) right I just see him flopping the cards back into Napier's hands don't forget your lucky deck (laughs) (laughs) the movie's got so many great lines in it I never really thought of that but you're pretty right I'll give you that right and and I don't mean it as a put down I like Polanski he was he was a very big presence and I I, you know De Niro as well De Niro I think is a more evolved actor than Polanski was no insult to either of them but yeah, I think both of them made made a large portion of their career out of kind of just playing a version of themselves, which is fine. But yeah, and I, I like it. But yeah, that otherwise though, I don't know. I I kind of felt like there was there was a chance to make it a little bit tenser than it was, and it just wasn't quite. It didn't peak for me the way I wanted it to. Like it was good. It was a good scene. But I, I like I. You want there to be that build up, and you really feel like this might culminate into a gunfight, and some somewhere just didn't. It was like, eh, this is going to go nowhere. It's too early in the movie, too. It's like, you know, nothing's going to happen here. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Afternoon, John. John, Mr. Dolan, and Mr. Murphy here are complaining about their merchandise wagon being plundered. On several occasions on the way into town. And quite frankly, John, they think you're behind it. That's a fargan lie, and you know it, Richard. Sheriff Brady. Mr. Murphy is going to continue coming to you claiming I've taken his property until I'm pronounced the thief and shaken out of Lincoln. I've never touched his property. I have no cause. (laughs) Well, the belted Earl has spoken. Look behind you, Earl. All I see are hired thieves. These boys are promising young men, acquiring an education. Well, I've had you pegged as the type that... uh, that likes educating young boys, Englishmen. <laughs> there is some tension. It was a little bit. And yeah. as it arises, they end up like pointing guns at each other, but it's pretty quickly dismissed. Except Chavez. Right. I always notice that he just holds a knife up, you know? <laughs> right. Do you ever notice that Palance has to make a misogynistic, like, sexual joke during every speech he gives? <laughs> like, he always sneaks in on the side. Oh, educating young boys, Ari, in the barn. <laughs> and then he's like, "If you want, but if you want a future in politics, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Right. I think you'd be better off selling ladies' undergarments in London or whatever. <laughs> right? But you'd be better off selling ladies' undergarments in Hempstead. <laughs> All right, men, that's enough. Come away. This is a new country. We won't be bowing down to you no more, Englishmen. Get ready for hell. The crowd behind him, too, they always, like, love a good joke, and they almost, like... Bunch of sycophants. I feel like they're almost, like, too stupid to laugh at, this, at like, the correct time. They, like, have to, like, wait for a cue. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's classic, like, villain henchman. It's like three yeah. ninjas all over again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just laugh when the boss tells you to. Colt. 
<laughs> what a name. Yeah, little horse, see how about some hay? Laugh. <laughs> I love it. McCloskey is a guy that joins up with the regulators shortly after that event, but not too long after that, they have like the New Year's Eve local celebration there in Lincoln, where it's kind of like a dance and a party, kind of like Back to the Future 3 style, I guess. Let's dance. Josh, there's a few things that happen at the dance, which, you know, I, I love every moment of it, really, but uh, were there any key points for you? Yeah, there's pugilists, there's pulling tallywhackers. <laughs> <laughs> Pugilist pulling their tally whackers. This whole thing we come to find, I'm not going to skip over this whole thing, but I did notice today it's kind of like the Red Wedding. It, you get the feeling that Murphy's men had the entire time kind of planned to take Tunsil and his group out on their way home, kind of hung over back from this event. So I think that's kind of like interesting in light of all like the silly stuff that does go on, right? Yeah, it's the, it's a, it's the levity right before shit gets real. Well, I'll just start us off. Chavez starts by just ruining their bucket in their well by throwing knives at it. So <laughs> from the roof, Billy just explodes it the rest of the way, kind of scaring the crap out of everyone. And then Tunstall's like, let's dance. <laughs> and so there was a debate in my household for some reason about what he says. My brother used to think he said nice dance. And I was like, no, dude, it's let, nah. let's dance because they're going to a dance. So like that was like... A, like a contentious thing between me and my brother for some reason. <laughs> Huge riffs. Yeah, we never really recovered from that. <laughs> Who's Hugh? I like Charlie pretending to be like in med school so he can like talk to women. <laughs> right? Uh, medicine. Oh. Yes. I, I shall receive my degree from St. Michael's in July. And then I should be practicing here in Lincoln until my missionary tour of the islands. <laughs> he has a nice little pinky out, like, beer sip there, too. Oh, it's perfect. He really has his way with women, doesn't he, in this movie? The pinky out moment was my favorite with him. <laughs> I just love that little touch. You know, he's, he's, they don't even really mention it. You have to be looking to notice it, but he's talking to the girls. He gives them a little medical school bit. Then he takes the drink with the pink up. His yep. accent is so bad. Oh. It is. It's fantastic. That <laughs> uh, was probably my favorite moment with him the, the whole best. movie. <laughs> like, he can't just pretend to be in med school. He has to be British to get the respect. Right. <laughs> Andy's going on a missions trip soon. Yeah, that's right. To the islands. To the islands. I think, I, Josh, I think to you, I think that was your, you, um, whichever one of you made the point early on, I'm sorry, I just don't remember who said it, but that, that, uh, Tunstall likes to take, take the boys out and give them a little attention I, for that. In that moment, I was like, he's clearly trying to emulate, you know, dad effectively. Yeah. Tunstall's his father figure and that's who he really wants to be. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the real heart of the movie, Jordan, and that's the relationship between Doc and Yen Soon. What what about it? Isn't it just beautiful? It's just a beautiful love story. I hate it. Thank you. Thank you. It's I hate it. It's a real fucking downer. It's so thin. The whole that whole portion of the story is so thin. Doc is, I guess he's a poet. And he's he's fine. He's okay. No, he just quotes Romeo and Juliet, by the way. Yeah, it, the, in the one moment he actually utters anything like a poem. Like, <laughs> so shows a snowy dove trooping with crows, as yonder lady or her fellows shows. Pardon me? Oh, 
That's a poem. I'm a poet. I wrote it. But then as as soon as any like real tension comes into the scene, he literally just yells like, stop, like makes her stop (laughs) on the street and kind of yells at her and like deliver this message to your guardian. Not super romantic. And I don't understand why I I mean, he sneaks into her room later and that's a separate thing. But and they don't know each other at all. And this is what right. bothers me. Like They dance once, he accosts her in the street, <laughs> and then he sneaks into her room late at night, and then she's she loves him. Cannot accept those, thank you. You you walk awful fast for a little thing, don't you? Come on, Yen, I just want to talk. You must like trouble. Trouble? You think I look like trouble? I'm a poet. Carrying flowers of all things. And a gun. It's a big gun. It's a big town. Come on, Yen. Please. Stop! Look, if you don't want to take these, that's fine. But you take a message to your guardian. You tell LG Murphy, the regulators are going to clean house. And I mean clean house. That they can't own us like they own a little China girl for the price of a shirt. Okay? You tell him that. They needed to meet on the street and have like a scene where they like, oh, we kind of like match our personalities and then it could grow exactly. from there or something. Like the flowers. Right. There was no, there was no character development between them. Well, to be fair, the last time <laughs> she's referred to by Murphy, he's just literally yelling the word China. Yeah, right. Oh, it's terrible. Which is kind of a euphemism really for is. like her whole character, I guess. The way oh, she's written. It's bad. The scene with with Doc yelling at her like that on the street was the between that and the sneaking into the room. Like, if I were in the woman's position, I would just assume this guy's going to rape me the moment he gets the chance. Like, he just like he's decided he's in love with me after meeting me for ten seconds. He's accosting me in the street. He yelled at me for not wanting to pay attention to him after I politely told him that I'd get in trouble with the man I'm supposed to be with if I did pay attention to him. And then he snuck into my bedroom. Like, (laughs) it's weird. The whole thing's weird. It's me, Doc. I know what you desire. You come to lay with me and then cut me into tiny pieces with a knife. You're the bandit who eats children and old people. I eat meat and potatoes. Who told you that? My benefactor. Your benefactor? That's the man that eats people. It's not great, yeah. No. It kind of just didn't get my attention as a kid, but watching it as a grown man, yeah, that that whole bit is so fucking out there. Like, it's, yeah, <laughs> you got to have a love story, though. Those are the movie rules. See, but that's what I'm wondering. Was like, what was the motivation for it? Was it supposed to be to give Doc more character? Because then, why didn't they pay that much attention to the other characters? Why Doc? Why does he get the side story? Is this a Kiefer Sutherland? Yeah, contract. Kiefer Sutherland. Thing? Right. Bro, have you seen The Lost Boys? Right. You go, well, The Lost Boys, Lost Boys. That's, that's a movie we'll talk positively about. But, yeah. <laughs> um, well, so why does Casey Simazko also get a side story with the prostitute? Because that's... And with the marriage. But I feel like they spent a, a lot less effort on that. You know what I mean? Like, you're right. You're right. But I feel like Doc's romance was like the main side story aside from the war yeah. and the rest of it even billy sort of felt like kind of a footnote in it i don't know maybe it's just me 
True. Yeah, you're right. Charlie's character is so all over the place in this movie. <laughs> it's insane. Like his interactions with women are in this party where he lies to them about his job and his whole, you know, he's just basically a psychotic person lying. Then later he orders a post- prostitute, all his friends chip in, and then he doesn't even bang. He just for some reason it's never explained like is he missing a mother figure like what's going on here no one knows and then in the next one he just gets married and leaves her the night of the wedding what is this man Uh, doing i I think i think it is explained he's a boxer and he has severe fucking brain damage (laughs) severe the scene with the prostitute is part of what made me feel that way about it to be honest because i felt like there was there was something there was almost something there was a ghost of of a side story there like if you're gonna do it and pay this much attention to him then give him some character and what was what, you know is it because he lost his mother is it because yes. he's, you so know. the actor said in the extended scene it's revealed mm. that that's actually his mom see okay no. I no. get out of here I kind of got the impression watching the scene that maybe that's how what it extended was, that he was to, the scene but but like his to, whole life yeah exactly to, 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 <laughs> I, I don't understand the motivation years. to cut it out then because I kind of got that impression anyway but if you're gonna have the scene then leave that part in. It's too vague otherwise. It was so confusing as a kid. I didn't know what was going on, honestly. I still actually don't as an adult now that I think about it. Except for <laughs> it's his mom. I mean, that explains it, right. I guess. But This is this viewing was the only time it had ever occurred to me before hearing Corey say that this, this particular viewing, I, I'm like, is he there looking for the mother he didn't know? And then they never confirmed it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I must have just made that up. But, but in the context of the movie, it's removed. So it's not that in this movie, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So in this movie, he's a celibate man who still wants the comfort of a woman. Not gay. Who said he's celibate? Celibate or something. Why doesn't he bang? What's he doing? Well, Charlie, I don't remember you, but I guess you remember me. I meet so many young men out for the first. You know how it is. Why don't you come over here, Charlie? Um, ma'am, uh, I just want to hold you. Whatever your pleasure, Charlie. But it all costs the same. Right? He knows he's about to die. Maybe he just doesn't want to. Can't get it up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. That's it, man. Is that what you're saying, Jordan? He's like, it's just not going to happen. Maybe he's, like, super depressed and, as I said, brain damaged, and he knows he's about to go into, like, his last fight or whatever. We're the first people to ever talk about this online, I'm pretty sure. This is amazing. (laughs) I want to deep dive into pugilists in the, whatever, 1860s. (laughs) This is one of those big, dumb movie episodes where it's like, this is only going to make sense if you've seen the movie 20 times like us. Like. But I think it's it, like, I, it's funny. I think the one theme here that we're all agreeing on is even if we don't explicitly say it this way, is that there's, there's a thinness of, of story to this, that like, regardless of what the reasoning is, we all walked away from it feeling like it could be this, it could be that it might be these three other things, but not really knowing, you know? Yeah. Sometimes but, that yeah. can be good movie making. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. In some cases, the mystery is part of part of the allure. A hundred percent. But it's kind of done accidental, maybe in some of these cases. <laughs> right. I agree with you completely. I think in this particular scene, the mystery is only the result of that that extra bit being trimmed out of it. It's like, well, in that mm-hmm. case, all you, you just ruin the scene by editing it improperly. You know, <laughs> is that like one of the first 
movie internet theories that the prostitute is his mom. That could be like one of the first <laughs> one, the first Reddit theory ever. Right. Like, oh. Yeah. Somehow. It was developed like in, in 1989, like one year after the movie. The internet was brand new, being oh. used by the military only. Al Gore himself. It was a fresh <laughs> meme in the military. <laughs> yeah, it, it had impact font on the meme. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking comic sans. Oh, man. So the next day after the uh, New Year's celebration, John Tunstall does get shot by Murphy's men, and the, uh, the regulators, they all witness this, but they, they can't go help him. They're, they're a little bit too far away, plus they're way outnumbered, so... They do what they do a lot in this movie. They, you know, they kind of ride off and there's like a, a one minute horse chase or so, whatever it is. What that leads to, though, is that Billy and the rest of the gang, they get deputized and they do this with the help of the lawyer, uh, Alex McSween. Um, they get deputized and they're, they're tasked with basically arresting the people that are responsible because they're known. And the first up is Henry Hill. Right, so Charlie Sheen, the good leader that he is, trying to pass on some responsibilities, you know, delegate. Delegating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he tells Billy to uh, go inside and serve a warrant on Henry Hill. Unfortunately, though, this is where Billy starts getting kind of psychotic. <laughs> I don't know, like, what you're supposed to think in the context of this movie, but basically he gets off on murdering people in, like, weird ways. In this particular case, he waits till Henry Hill goes out to an outhouse and he literally has his dick out and he just turns around and like shoots him in the belly, pretending the gun is his own wiener. It's like pretty low down way. Like people that are like, oh, Pat Garrett shot Billy the Kid in the dark. It's like, well, he pretended a gun was his wiener and shot a man like that's not cool. (laughs) Phallic symbol imagery. Yeah. To talk about Mm. the point you mentioned a moment ago, I think. Dick realizes that Billy is like the only one there that's like really like hard in that way. Like he, cause this isn't the first time he sends Billy out. He's like, Billy, why don't you go do this? Cause Billy's the one that like is capable of doing it. But I don't think he anticipates Billy being a full on like psycho, right? Does anybody have an explanation for why he's like laughing so much and stuff here? Henry Hill? Yeah. Howdy! Oh. <laughs> By the way, you're under arrest. He's a psycho. Yeah, he just really enjoys getting a chance to shoot somebody. I mean, I get the impression, at least the way they portray him in the film, that he wouldn't kill anyone he didn't feel deserved it. That doesn't mean his reasons weren't are, are any good, but... I get the feeling he wouldn't just shoot people at random on the street, that he would only go for people he thought deserved it. And in this case, this guy was part of the gang responsible for murdering Tunstall, so he just, it was like a point of enjoyment to get to murder the guy. Still makes him kind of a psycho, but yeah. I think if you dig deep, because later, like, inexplicitly, like halfway through the movie, he reveals that his plan is to get the president's attention by murdering so many people. <laughs> like yeah, I mean, I, I, you're right. I think though, I think the way that's supposed to play is that like, the Polance character has got complete control over the economy in this county and is using local politicians, law enforcement agents, and even the state governor to enforce his own power. So I think you're supposed to view that at least as Billy being a good guy in the sense that like, 
the only route we have to dismantle this guy's corrupt power in this county is to get the president involved, and he's just not going to pay any attention until this turns into a full-on war. Yeah. There's even a conversation with uh, the lawyer, whose character name I forget, when he says, you know, I tried getting to the governor, and it turned out the other guy's people had already already been there and bribed him, you know? Mm. I, I totally agree with you. I, A, just think that came out of nowhere later in the movie. <laughs> right. But B, I think, like, if they would have played up Billy getting like legitimately excited about the prospect of like getting more famous or being in more like newspaper stories or even like that he wanted to get revenge on like this guy specifically I think his like laughing or like having more of like a personality there could have worked but in the context of the movie again he's just like going full like enjoyment of murder and it's kind of bizarre (laughs) right yeah, I mean, I definitely think he enjoys getting the chance to do it. And that, that's definitely a character point for him. <laughs> He's just the lovable scamp. Right. I mean, well, I mean, see, that's the problem, right? Is <laughs> like at the same time, I'm not necessarily endorsing his reaction, but like you, you're not going to feel bad about the people he's killing, are you? I mean, their murder is just the same as he is. So what's what's the difference? Right. It's your revenge story. You know, yeah. it's like you, you kind of understand the motivation maybe don't agree with the means yeah, exactly exactly you know it's not like it's not as if the people he's going after didn't instigate somehow they murdered some they murdered Tunsil in front of the rest of them you have to know especially mm. 1870s New Mexico territory you have to know at that point someone's going to come after you like, well just to close down this Henry Hill scene I guess justice <laughs> is done by every single person in this bar being wiped out by the end of right. <laughs> including like the barber I think <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that definitely becomes an extended point. And like, I think it's part of the point, right? Like, is they're really only there for the one guy, but it turns into a gunfight with everyone. And then they read the newspaper story about it later, and the story in the paper is basically these regulators showed up and massacred 50 people. So, yeah, absolutely. That kind of leads into the regulators, I guess, maybe finding a spy amongst their midst as they're taking out more Murphy's men. They they kill McCloskey, right? <laughs> right? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, we never really know. I saw that. What? What'd you see? What'd you see? He knows what I just saw. What you talking about? Where's the ambush, McCloskey? In Lincoln? You're trying to steer us away from Capitan because you know your men, Murphy's men, Waiting to jump us in Lincoln. Billy, what are you talking about? McCloskey's with us. He's a regulator. Yeah, but he used to ride with Murphy. That's what I'm talking about. That was a long time ago. He's a spy! He's been with us. We made a pact. Right, McCloskey? Right. Jesus, Billy. We never really know. Like, because he looks at one of the Murphy men, Billy assumes that he's on their side, that he's secretly a spy. Billy's kind of paranoid, you know? I I think this is the moment that really underlines him as being kind of a psychopath. I mean, not, Mm -hmm. maybe not entirely, but close, because you're right, he doesn't, they don't, he doesn't wait for any proof. They don't decide to, like, gag the guy and bring him along just in case. Billy's just like, nah, I'm pretty sure he's a, he's a a spy, I'm killing him. Ah, shit, I'm sorry, Plosky. Hey, it's all right. We're all upset about John. Sorry I didn't sniff you out soon, you goddamn traitor. Court adjourned. Moron! You're out of line, you son of a bitch! Richard, he was right. McCluskey was acting strange. 
Well, then that means we just killed three more Murphy men, right? Right. Oh, Christ Jesus, Brady's gonna hang us for sure now. What are we doing now, Dan? Quiet! Let it close a fucking lip for a goddamn second and let me think. Kiefer does back him up, though. Yeah, Kiefer does back him up, but then I think Kiefer's reaction to it underlines the point you were making. That, you know, because in, in the aftermath of it with the blood on his face, realizing <laughs> what just happened, like, Doc is, Doc is pretty set back by that moment. It's true. <laughs> it's pretty shocking. They, they hang on that, don't they? Right. They did the some, movie, yeah. like, work, makeup work on that exit wound. Yeah. I didn't notice that till this watching. It's pretty gross. It is. Just to only show it pretty briefly, too, like in the water, right? Yeah. Yeah. And only the first time in the water. The second time in the water, it looks like it's all been washed away or something. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's the trick with a lot of those practicals is you only let people look at them long enough, you know, so the convincing part of it doesn't go away. Mm. (laughs) True. Our gang of regulators, they are kind of... Like, not sure what to do because they got a lot of heat on him now. They've really, like, crossed the line of what they were supposed to do. Uh, they can't go back home. They're kind of on the run. They find out that John Kinney is coming after them, <laughs> who is apparently, like, the local badass bounty hunter. Um, so they decide to take some drugs. We've come to a place where we are lost, no? When an Indian is lost, he must reach into the spirit world to find a way. On the spirit road, he'll be shown a sign. This is the way to the spirit road. We're lost right now. But I'll find us the way. Oh, Christ, Chavez, that's all we need is some more of your red-ass navy ho man, but your hambo, we're running out of time here, Chavez. Chavez, what is that? Peyote. <laughs> they, they, wanted to, they would just want to go to the spirit world. <laughs> I mean, don't we all? <laughs> this is the best it's probably the best sequence in the movie for me outside of maybe the intro that you bashed earlier (laughs) some people hate this scene but i fucking love this scene it's great i can't confess to understand it but i mean did you see that chicken they set it up with charlie the leader he can't possibly figure out a plan after he's gone through every cardinal direction, guys. Well, we can't go north because Murphy's got men coming out of Fort Sumner. We can't go south because he's got Brady coming in. Yeah. East is no good because we got John Kenny coming up now. What's to his group? About 15. Mm-hmm. We can go west through the Valley of Fires, but there's the Mescalero Reservation. Yeah, and they're having a good year with scouts. No thanks, Richard. I don't know what the hell to do. <laughs> North, south, east, and west. Yes. It's like, well, we're screwed. It's pretty insane. I've always loved that part. But like Chavez, Chavez is like walking by. Maybe he hears that conversation happening and he's like, well, there's some peyote. It's going to help us figure it out. He goes walking off by himself and finds the peyote growing in a patch of snow and then just sort of comes back with it. Yeah. It's very yeah. weird. And then when they realize they're having a problem, because it's the underlining the sort of Native American part of him. He's like, I can solve this problem. We can solve this problem by visiting the spirit world. It'll show us the right path, you know? The problem really being is that when you intoxicate your brain that way, and I'm not talking shit, Peyote's incredible, but everyone's just going to have a trip, right? Like, what you what you see doesn't necessarily mean anything. You're just, you're having a neurological reaction, and everyone's is going to be different. So what if you and Doc have different reactions? Like... <laughs> Steve the scientist has emerged. Right. The best thing is Charlie Sheen watching it get passed right in front of him. 
Oh, no way. It's true. No way. I want to address that, though, before we move on. <laughs> no, what Steve is saying. And I think that there's some people, religion and, like, cultural beliefs that if you are guided and, like, know what you're doing, there are, like, extra sensory things you can perceive. And uh, I think, like, everyone else uses it to basically just, like, party and, like, black out for a night. Right. No, I think you're right about that. I think you're right about that. But, like, you know, at the end of the day, even with that being true, like, if if the group of us sat in a room and all took peyote at the same time, even with the guide, the vision you have is not going to be the same across every person. So, like, which person's path is the right path? Like, what does Chavez says? Vision says go west and mine says go south. That's a good point. Like, as far you know, as that's, crazy, that's, yeah. it's, that's the only part I'm getting at. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's not a great way to, like, it's not a de- democratic way to figure out a solution, really. That's right. when you listen to sober Charlie Sheen. Guilt tripping everyone. <laughs> right. I don't yeah, I don't believe his character would have done it anyway. But no, absolutely. I I mean I I think there's, there's a lot of really interesting research on psychedelics and brain function though. It, it is it's genuinely an interesting field, even if you're not interested in the actual drugs. And there are a lot yeah. of stories that maybe they're not having the same exact experience, but there's people that don't know each other that will see the same entity types or like the same right. worlds, and that's kind of interesting too. So yeah, absolutely. Stay blessed. That's crazy, man. Have you ever done DMT? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not talking about that in a recorded session. <laughs> but that scene does give us the most famous line of the movie. Did, did you guys see something? Chicken? You see the size of that cockadoodle-doo? It is, it is the most famous line, right? I think so, if yeah. If Facebook what? is any indication, <laughs> right. I mean, when I see people talk about young guns, I see that shit nonstop in the comments. Yeah, if they th- say that's their favorite line, that shows me that they're kind of like a noob fan. Like, probably haven't yeah. watched it as much as I have, for instance. They've oh definitely God. seen it less than 15 times. <laughs> <You> fucking losers. <laughs> Around the 10 to 15 mark is when you start to really latch on to China at the end of the movie. <laughs> China! 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 China's WWE music starts playing and she comes out. <laughs> R.I.P. China was dope. Treat me for just two A couple quick notes, like Doc's voice, right? Like the, it, it's almost like a slow mo voice, but I don't think it's actually slow mo. I think they just like adjusted the pitch super low. Yeah, it sounds like they recorded it normally and then toyed with the audio in post production. Yeah. Also, his whole butterfly bit got real boring real fast. <laughs> like yeah, about ten yes, seconds of it was funny, yes. and then the rest of it was like, "Can I? Can we focus on someone else?" I'm, I get it. Butterflies. Thank you. Yeah. It's just like a butterfly. Butterfly flies to a flower, stays with it. <sighs> Doesn't know why, just feels it. <laughs> I mean, they all have their own thing. Like the chicken bit was way funnier. Steve's with the chickens. Yeah, he's with the butterflies. Charlie's just throwing up like he's right? getting sick <laughs> I did like the fact that they included that as stupid as it is that like you know someone someone always gets sick to their stomach it's gonna make someone throw up for sure so. <laughs> but they didn't even go all out for that effect he just if you look closely just kind of pukes whatever he has in his mouth that's I mean, true dude go, you gotta go Daniel Day-Lewis and 
throw the fuck up, bro. Yes. Dude, I mean, you think about the way he looks at the end of There Will Be Blood in the bowling alley when he's just been through everything and he's all fucking grizzled and angry. Like, it's perfect. That's a man that would puke his own puke. Right? He would. He would force himself to do it in real life. A hundred percent. And I can completely understand why it might be insane to try to work with him. But God damn, does it pay off in the end? Are you saying but, like in Phantom Thread, he actually poisoned himself? <laughs> right? I mean, I don't think he did, but I would I would believe that Daniel Day-Lewis would actually poison himself. I really do. He's not even acting at that point. He's just <laughs> doing things. Right? It's just like, look, I, I just want to be sure that I can make myself do this. I think he's that kind of guy. <laughs> Yeah, there's a thin line between acting and just doing something, I guess. <laughs> right? Well, you know, somebody criticized, we're getting way off topic, I'll keep it short, but somebody criticized uh, Jim Carrey for, for quote-unquote method acting in a recent interview. I can't remember who it was, but, and I've never thought of Jim Carrey as being a method actor. I think the problem there is with Jim Carrey, it never pays off. You know, with Daniel Day-Lewis, at least it pays off. They were probably talking about Man on the Moon. Oh, yeah, you know what? I think they were talking about Man on the Moon because he did, he did go crazy with everyone. And that, that I will... Put an asterisk next to my comment because Man on the Moon, I think he really did embrace the spirit of Andy Kaufman. He did really well. He that claimed movie. that the spirit of Andy Kaufman talked to him. Actually, Steve, it goes <laughs> it goes deep. I don't want to be the person saying all these stories are true. By the way, I feel like the spiritual like apologist right now of the pot or something. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. I believe it. I believe he'd say that. You know, <laughs> I believe he'd say that. <laughs> right. Uh. It's a, that's a good movie, though. He was very good in that. Ugh. So after their whole spirit world experience, they kind of travel on. And the next big things that happens to the regulators is um, a face-off with a guy called Buckshot Roberts, who's played by an actor called Brian Keith, who's like been in a ton of fucking movies <laughs> yes. between the 50s and the 90s. But he was the voice of Uncle Ben in the 90s Spider-Man, just that's as a right. side note. Um, what? Al- although his resume is vast... To me, he looks like a poor man's Anthony Hopkins. That's neither here nor there. Steve, what kind of goes down with Buckshot Roberts? They're just hanging around. He ends up there, and he has the big shootout with them. Yeah. Yeah, And this guy's supposed to be some kind of manhunting monster. He's, like, completely fucking unkillable. (laughs) He always gets his man. They're, they're like, genuinely... The ones who know who he is are genuinely scared of the fact that he's coming after them. And it turns out he's this big, lumbering, like, giant man. Just sort of throws himself off his horse basically says yeah it's me and then says something to the effect of like let's party i got a warrant for you old man i ain't got no business with that war no more take her head son of a bitch on my own come here to get that 150 dollars sheriff brady's putting down for the kid rest of you little shits is only worth 110 but i'll take it what a sweet disposition mm-hmm. let's dance or let's get it on or something like that and just start shooting at them. He says, let's dance. Let's dance. Yeah, there you go. And now and then, A line it, I have used in my real life <laughs> under similar conditions. When you were shooting at people. Yeah. Corey, you manhunter. Uh, right? Like, okay, maybe not that similar. But, uh, yeah, so it, it, that, that was fun. It was a fun shootout. I mean, not in terms of, like, you know, characters dying, just the way it got staged and set up. I think that actor really embraced, embraced the part. <laughs> it's a lot of fun, but yeah, that turns into a shootout. Dick ends up getting shot, and the the group of the rest of them feel so overwhelmed by this dude, they just leave. I mean, they've got really got no choice, but they they bone the fuck out to get out of there. I think they do ice him though, right? No, because he shows up again later at the end of the movie, right? Oh, that's a different yeah. dude. 
No. That's John Kinney. Yeah, he doesn't oh, show up again, but... Oh, you're right. He doesn't show up again. Sorry, I'm confusing characters. It's yeah, so good. they do get him there. It's a lot like the sniper scene in Full Metal Jacket, because Dick gets, like, shot out in the middle, and the rest... He, yeah. he thinks he's going to, like, start getting them one by one, but instead, like, they're just led away, which is probably the smart move. So I think... He faked his death in the outhouse one time, so they weren't gonna like take a second chance. <laughs> yeah, because he sticks his his rifle out through the gap in the wall of the outhouse to kill Dick, I think. Yeah. Uh, After he like croaks in there, he's like, Ugh! Ugh! <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, that shootout was was that was a very uh, Western moment. It was cool. I like the dude's style, like. <laughs> He has his rifle and he like gets down on one knee, so like you know to make it like harder to hit. Yeah, you'd think like they would just mow this guy down, but he's kind of yeah. kicking their ass. Yeah, I kind of want. It's kind of funny to see the the big big guy down on one knee just shooting everyone. You're kind of like, why don't they hit him? You know? Do you guys think the way uh, Dick dies here is like terrible? This is one of the things spoilers podcast like ripped apart is like his acting when he died. Yeah. I no yeah, no I like when he, it when he gets the shakes. Yeah, you never got the <laughs> shakes did. when you were shot in the chest, Steve. <laughs> you know, I can't say I've been shot in the chest all that many times, so maybe it's just lack of experience. <laughs> just once or twice. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I know. I like that scene. What's the complaint about it, Josh? I remember. I think it was Stevie saying, "Like, oh, he just looks so stupid." I'm going to agree with Stevie. I'm sorry. Like, it's fine. You can make fun of both of us for it. I'm sorry he didn't fucking do a line of coke and put on his sunglasses before he died. Like, right. Well, that's what he should have done. What do you want this man to do? It was 1988. Do? The whole scene should have been set to the song "Sunglasses at Night" by Corey Hart. And yeah. haven't you seen Snatch? When you're about to get shot, you pull a stupid face. Don't. It's don't, the law. Don't talk shit about Snatch. That movie's basically. I would perfect. never. <laughs> can I have one more note here on the scene, Corey? Yes. Okay. So like the whole thing about him being my favorite character and I really like the like leadership kind of stuff that's in this movie and like Tunstall's the leader initially he dies and then like Dick assumes leadership and he's kind of looked at like someone calls him their foreman after he dies I think so he like was the leader but there had been this like snippiness and like kind of Billy could he take over the leadership and even right before the scene they're like praying and Charlie Sheen's giving everyone a huge guilt trip for taking drugs since they're supposed to be like Catholic or something. And <laughs> like they like draw on each other and they even say like after this dinner, we're going to go out and duel. Well, then like Dick dies and Billy like becomes essentially the leader. I don't know. I just like power struggles and stuff. And I thought that was like one of the things, even as a kid, I thought was interesting, like the power struggle between those two guys and how it ends up yeah. resolving. Forgive us for our wrongdoings, for our misguidance by heathen religions. Thank you for keeping us alive. Please help guide us in doing the right thing. Please, Dick, it's getting cold. I could have killed you, Dick. I could have killed you. But I don't want to kill you, I want to eat. When we finish this meal, you little rodent, we're going to go out in the yard and see who has the right to run this group of regulators. Yeah, I'd agree with you about that. I think they underline it fairly nicely. There's one scene earlier on where they're reading one of the newspaper reports and Dick realizes that even though Billy's the one the story is writing about, they, they accidentally used his picture. 
So it's it's mm-hmm. Billy being described, but it's Dick's picture in the article. Right. He gets the worst of both worlds. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you don't get the reputation, but you get blamed for all the bad shit. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like that's, that's kind of a nice touch there. I'd be pissed off, too. Right. <laughs> I don't uh, think they'd dive enough into that because that is, I must really be fucking rough to be like the actual leader. But this dude's getting all the credit and he's being an asshole. And like, it's your picture in there. He's like, that's me. And he just kind of walks off. It's it, <laughs> I don't think they give that enough kind of airtime. No, I think you're right. I, I, I end up saying this about a lot of movies that I more or less like but don't love. But this is one of those films that like if they'd used it properly for character and story development, I could have had there be another half an hour in it and have them flush some of that stuff out more, No, you know, but only, (laughs) only if it were really used properly. Cause I I also always admit the caveat there is it's also an additional half an hour for them to, to be bad with and to screw it. At that point, you just end up walking (laughs) away feeling that it's too much movie. So it's a big risk. You know, the lawyer and his wife are bad enough. Don't give me another half hour. Lock, lock from lost. Yeah. Oh, it is lock. Yeah. I don't dislike <laughs> them, but they're they're thin. They're they're not used all that well. Yeah. yeah. We do get some pretty good like moments of the characters, like like the rift among the regulators after that, where you think maybe Doc is gonna bail out, and then Chavez wants to bail out. He's vocal about that, and he he kind of describes like his brutal past, which is of course fucked up because he's a Native American in the United States. <laughs> right, right, in the late 1700s, yeah. Yeah, so... Not nice treatment. 207 people butchered in the snow with their stomachs empty. My mother's people. You see, Murphy and company was under government contract to supply us with beef. And two winters ago, he sent only rotten meat. No corn, no flour, only rancid beef crawling with worms. So I went out with a band in the night to a trader's camp to try and get food. Oh yeah, they welcomed us in. And then they opened a fire on us. I got away, only me. But when I got back to the Red Sands, I found out that the army had already heard about our big Indian uprising and they paid us back. My mother was cut by a saber from her privates to her neck. My sisters were just babies, and they had their heads bashed in with boot heels so that the army could save bullets. Everybody on my reservation was butchered, and it means nothing to me! Uh, Things haven't gone good for him, you know, but uh, through the power of pals, they all end up sticking together, right, Josh? Yeah, I guess. And it takes place (laughs) over the course of, like, three or four scenes, maybe. Kiefer rides off bloody, like you said, and... There's a classic line in here where Chavez says, Steve, come with me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, wait a second. These people have been horrible. These Steve's one of the ones usually calling him racist names and spitting at him and stuff. And then all of a sudden he's like, Would you come be my trail buddy? <laughs> or did he say Charlie actually? Oh man, I forget which one he said. But somebody he his delivery is like so shy after just it having is. like huh? poured out his heart about his whole family being murdered and everything. Then he's like, Hey. Come with me. There's a right? different day of shooting. You come with me? You ain't saying much, Dirty Steve. Because he ain't got much to say, Charlie. Oh, Steve understands the meaning of the word pals, don't you, Steve? So you got three, four good pals. Why, then you got yourself a tribe. There ain't nothing stronger than that. We're your family now, Chavez. 
You walk away from us, you break our sacred hoop. We gotta stick together, fellas. It's the only way I see it. I, 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 I'm sympathetic to that character's story, but he wants to go restart his tribe by himself. I'm like, dude, everyone from your tribe is dead. Like, what are you gonna do? You need two people. Right, yeah, you need at least two of you, and even then there's gonna have to be a lot of incest if you're gonna wanna restart the entire tribe, so... I'm sorry, like, it's it's awful, but you're done. The tribe's done. Man, you like, would have been a, a real stick in the mud if you were a regulator. Right? <laughs> yeah, I, Getting I mean, real with him. Do you have a yeah, feeling absolutely. these guys aren't really taking his story so seriously? That's the other thing. <laughs> like, yeah, the other guy's just like, oh, it's fucking half Mexican, half Navajo, son of a bitch, whatever. And it's like, number one, he's not really even Navajo. And I'm like... But then, yeah, the, the rest of them just seem like whatever, dude. We, we're more interested in the fact that John got killed, even though your whole tribe, like, tells him the story about how his sister's heads got kicked in to save bullets and stuff. It's like, that's the most horrific thing I've ever heard in my fucking life. And the rest of you were just like, whatever, dude, fine, go do what you want. <laughs> They're <laughs> like, right. we're just trying to make some dogs on the fire here, bro, really taking down the moves. <laughs> right? <laughs> Fuck, man. Uh, after that, though, they, the gang, they do decide to stick together, and yeah. they they go pay Sheriff Brady a visit. They finally kill him, right? Because he's, like, the corrupt sheriff that kind of, like, allowed Tunstall to get killed. Like, he didn't really do anything to stop it anyway. Yeah. Uh, so they take him out. Alex, the lawyer, obviously is not happy about oh, this, no. and the boys all, they turn in their badges. I guess, like, it doesn't really matter at this point because, like, they never really used them properly anyway. So, like, seeing them, like, turn them in, it's like, you were never really the law anyway. But this kind of takes us to the scene we talked about earlier where Charlie's freaking out and he just kind of wants to get, you know, one last BJ or whatever. But <laughs> since we already kind of covered that. One last that, cuddle. <laughs> maybe we could talk about what goes down in the bar area, Jordan. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is where... I. Who is the guy that he walks up to? I feel like I should know who that is and I couldn't quite put it together this time i have no idea i I'm, don't know what his name is i'm not sure he's supposed to be a real person i could be wrong i, I did get a very very wild bill hickok vibe from him that was another very famous mm. cowboy i think he may may have been sort of loosely derived from that it seems like a kind of like a rando with a lot of bravada darling when a man rides 200 miles to do a job you can bet your spanish land grant he's gonna get that job done now, if this Billy the Kid's around town, like people say, he is $200 flat dead on this bar. You can't kill it, you can't catch. You know these mestizos? They say that Polito is half horse, half devil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, got, he's got some flowing locks and he's got a lady on his arm, but Billy goes up <laughs> to him because he's like bragging real loud about how he's going to kill Billy and doesn't realize he's in the same fucking bar. But... Billy goes up to him and kind of acts naive and innocent, like, oh, like, you're going to kill him? Like, what? Like, can I help identify him and yell out to you when I see him if he walks on the street? <laughs> and so he goes about identifying him very much as, like, the newspaper article did before, like, left-handed, likes to, what is it, like, whistle sad tunes. They and... call him tall, like, everything is wrong about the description. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just totally wrong. And uh, Billy ends up getting a hold of his gun he has to like borrow the gun that's gonna shoot down billy the kid so he empties it and then Sneaky. starts trolling him which is 
probably my favorite scene in the entire movie when he starts he points in the mirror he's like oh i see him and then he starts whistling <laughs> sad tunes it's the best the whole <laughs> sequence in exchange between the two of them is likewise one of my favorite if not my favorite moment mm-hmm. in the whole movie but as much as i i also like it and i'm not going to dislike the scene because of it that the, the handing of the gun does bother me a little bit like, there's just no way. He'd never hand another a stranger a loaded gun like that in a bar. He would have unloaded it himself or refused to hand it over. Like, why take the risk? This guy could run off with your gun. He could shoot you with it and then run off with it. Like, there's no. No, you don't do that. Not in an environment like that. He's he's in a bar and he he seems a bit drunk, but also like the kid like Billy is like 19 or 20 years old. Like he's, he's a child basically. So I think he just didn't believe he's he's caught up in his shit and like the girls on him and like, Oh like yeah, like let him touch the gun. That's going to shoot down Billy, the kid, whatever. I, I sort of get it. Yeah. I think he's trying to be so cool, like around the women that like, he doesn't want to be like, no, cause then you might shoot me. Like he doesn't want to seem like a bitch. So he's like, yeah, take my gun. I don't give a fuck. What are you going to do? <laughs> it just seems like that would be the rule. You know, I just it's it's interesting. I know I always find a way to bring this back to like samurai stuff. But like I, one of the things I learned about them growing up, samurai growing up, is that when they were like in towns and other samurai they didn't know were around, there was a standard way they would always posture themselves against one another just in case one of the others decided to draw a sword and take a swing. Damn. And you, <laughs> and right, exactly. You know, because you never knew. And 99% of the time, nothing happened. But they're really, they would get trained, regardless of which school of martial arts they were in, they would get trained to posture themselves in terms of their body position a certain way if they were within a certain distance of another samurai just in case the other guy decided to take a swing at them. And you'd sort of think that would translate because cowboy culture is not that much different. Everyone in the room's carrying a gun. Any one of them could decide to kill you. But you're, I mean, you're not, you're wrong. At least he pays the ultimate price for his mistake. It's true. And oh boy, I'm getting a little tired of your wise lip. Now you, uh, you get yourself someplace else before I have to drop your britches in front of all these fine ladies and uh, spank your little bottom blue. Yeah, sure, you are a testy little cuss. You know, and you're right. And I think that's part of the reason the scene pays out for me is like the naivety turns out against him. He ends up getting killed for having handed Billy his gun. So you're right. You are right about that. Steve, I know. I've seen Samurai Cop. Okay. I know. (laughs) I know how it works. (laughs) What is a katana, Corey? (laughs) What does katana mean? It means Japanese sword. (laughs) Katana means Japanese sword. Do Samurai let like 20 year old kids touch their sword? No way. No, there's no way. They would sleep with them under their pillows. It was like a part of them. It's John Kinney. Anyway, <laughs> so this kind of, this whole scene is kind of like broken up after that guy gets killed by uh, someone runs in and yells, it's John Kinney, which is like, to me, the 
the most memorable it's John Kinney moment of the movie. I think there's a few. This is also my <laughs> least favorite part of the whole movie. The musical cue right after he says that yeah. is the worst musical cue. <laughs> the 80s rock. It is exactly. They go straight to 80s hair metal in a fucking Western. It's John Kenny, and it's just like, bow, bow, bow. <laughs> it's, it's like watching the introduction to CSI Miami. Like, fuck. How terrible. Ugh. Oh, I really hope I can find the music for this part. Right? It goes from him saying it's John Kinney to the key, but it's the worst. I love it. It's so fucking stupid that it's come back around <laughs> for me. I'm into it. I can see that. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> this fucking 80s Western, dude. Like, that's, you gotta have it. Like, <laughs> Fuck, man. Oh, God. So what Billy's doing is he's leading the regulators back into Lincoln. He He's still on his quest for revenge, even though, like, basically no one agrees with him that that's what they need to do. Because, I mean, it is, after all, 100 against 5. It's 100 against 5. It's 100 against 5. Well, there's a reason, right? He kind of plays some reverse psychology on them because they want to go to Mexico. And he convinces them that that's the most dangerous way. So he's in because it sounds so fun because he's so badass. But then, yeah. but then really quickly, Charlie gets married, and then he gets word from Pat Garrett that they need to, like, go save Locke from Lost. Yeah, McSween. Yeah. yeah. So I guess that was his, like, big reason for going back. I don't even know if he tells them that, though, until they're there. I don't know. It's unclear. It's really quick. Yeah, so we haven't talked about him yet, but Pat Garrett is in two scenes of this movie, and this is one of them, where he shows up to, to warn Billy. And there is, like, a, a big misdirect that is in this movie that I didn't notice until this most recent rewatch because very famously, Pat Garrett is the guy that killed Billy the Kid and he shot him in the back, right? The story is, at least one of the stories, that he shot Billy in the back while Billy was unarmed in a dark room where he couldn't be seen. And a lot of people felt like it was kind of... Some people feel like it was kind of a cheap shit way to do it, but I think in that instance, probably better off not giving someone like Billy the Kid the chance to shoot back, so... right. Many, many people are saying it was in the dark. Yeah. Billy the Kid's last words were, KNS, KNS. But, you know, I mean, it's that it could be completely true, but it's one of those things. It happened in 17, 1788, I think, Billy the Kid was shot. Like, nobody else was there except the two of them. So, you know, this this long after it, it happened. more like 18. I'm sorry, yeah, you're right, 1888. That was my misspeaking. But, yeah, you know, I mean, there's... Nobody really knows exactly what happened. Like, any story we've got is probably at least a little bit wrong. Right. You know? Well, in this movie, when they are talking, Billy does turn around, and he, his back is facing Pat Garrett. Right. And if you watch Garrett, Garrett goes for his gun and then stops. So maybe if you, like, are familiar with the story of Billy the Kid and you're watching this movie for the first time, you might be like, oh, my God, it's Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. They're alone in the dark. Billy is turned around. His back is facing him. Pat Garrett's going for the gun. You might be thinking like, oh shit, he's going to kill him. Right. But he doesn't, right? There's there's more. We got to have a sequel. <laughs> and in fact, there's going to be a third movie coming out next year. Well, I I like I don't want to jump mm. too far ahead, but there's a moment after the big fight at the end where Doc's character does a VO of what happened and he mentions Pat Garrett killing Billy the Kid. So it's really weird that they then went on and did the sequel. So they, I, I, it doesn't seem to me they thought there would be a sequel. Because as the movie ends, yeah. it's just like, oh, yeah, by the way, a few years later, Pat Garrett killed Billy the Kid in New Mexico. He's buried at Fort Sumner. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's like the animated Lord of the Rings ending. Yeah. It's like, and they all lived happily ever after. Like, we didn't see the ring get destroyed or anything. <laughs> no, and that one I've always heard was because they, the funding ran out and the production got short. Like, Ralph Box, she was going to do all of them. And then for one reason or another, it couldn't. So they sort of had to end it that way. Yeah. Uh, Charlie gets married, doesn't he, Josh? Yep. We get to see some Emilio cheeks when he figures it out. <laughs> Emilio. Charlie's getting married. <laughs> That's one of the scenes in here that actually Jordan and I's dad always loved is when he's dictating that really stupid letter and then he says, P.S. <laughs> kiss my ass. All right, change my mind. That's the best. <laughs> Dear Governor Axtell. Axtell. Right. I have heard that you will give, uh, what is it? Uh, $200. $200 for my head. Perhaps we should meet and talk. I am at the Juarez village at the border. Send three men and instruct them not to shoot as I am unarmed. In short, sir, I surrender. Your obedient servant, William H. Bunny. P.S. I changed my mind. Kiss my ass. <laughs> I love they it. They get to have like some of these scenes of like partying and fun between like kind of the chaotic fights, which is kind of nice, I guess. I, I still to this day just feel like Charlie's interactions with all the women just so bizarre, including this one where he gets married <laughs> and they even give him an out. They're like, hey, man, you're married. Stay. And he's like, something, something, pals. <laughs> Jumps on his horse. Ain't easy having pals. Yeah, it sucks sometimes it hurts to have pals or something. Yeah. But you know, it's funny. This is one one instance where they deviate just real quick. His, the, yeah, the real Charlie Beaudry survived. Huh. He, he actually, well, he survived the gunfight depicted in this film. He actually ended up being killed way later at another shootout in New Mexico at a place called Stinking Springs. So they they kill him in this movie, but uh, he he actually lived longer than that. He's actually also buried at Fort Sumner near Billy the Kid. Mm. Yeah. Well, I hope when he died, he didn't crap his pants in front of any of the ladies. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and that was my favorite line from him. I can't remember what he's like in front of the ladies and everything or whatever he says. That was great. You mess your pants, they say. Yeah. <laughs> 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 <sighs> So with the information provided by Pat Garrett, the regulators, they go to try to rescue Alex McSween and his wife from the upcoming Murphy assassination. Supposedly. Basically, Murphy's men are going to go finish the job by killing him. He was the lawyer of yeah. Tunstall. He tells the, rent, the uh, regulators at one point that his intention is to try to reopen Tunstall's general store and get it back to business. And then he also at some point tries going to the governor and realizes that the governor is not going to do anything because he's in Polanski's pocket. And uh, he also wants to get to President Hayes to try to make a point of what's going on in, in Lincoln County. But uh, clearly the other guys, the bad guys, don't want don't want Sweeney doing any of that. So, yeah, Jordan, maybe you can kind of tell us about like what begins to unfold with them being in the McSween house. Pretty soon after they get there, they're surrounded 
and apparently there's just a huge militia that's just been waiting on them to get there so they can ambush them is my impression i (laughs) it's actually pretty interesting to me because i i'm really into the idea of like the uh, I, don't, I don't quite know what to call them, but I guess like independent like militias, basically like Murphy's men surrounding the house. Yeah. And then like the army comes in later and Murphy is like pissed. He's like, no, no, no. Like, <laughs> I got this. Yeah, my guys are going to deal with this. Yeah. Yeah. And like he, basically he's just trying to like run the town. I mean, like the region really. But his conversations in the street are golden. They They're are. The best. <laughs> Quite a bit of excitement. Hello, Judge. Why are you here, Nathan? I was dispatched here to make sure it doesn't get out of the hands of the civil authorities. Now, if you have any hope for a political future in the county seat, you will respond to our suggestions. And what do you suggest, sir? Full military attack. Destroy them. China! Soldiers, stop her! Get! Stop her! China! Burn it! Excuse me. Burn it! Him, him just yelling at like the generals and stuff is one of my favorite parts of the entire movie. Like, Burn it! <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> one kind of nice historical touch with the cavalry coming in. I don't know if you guys caught it, but aside from the leading officer, every member of that cavalry group was an African American, and that's that's an accurate historical touch at that point in U.S. history. The United States military was segregated, and the detachment that was responsible for patrolling North, uh, New Mexico territory was an all-African-American unit, aside from one or two white officers. So they made a point, even though they don't mention it all in the movie and you hardly even notice it, when the cavalry comes in, it's, it's an all-African-American unit, which is historically accurate. That's pretty mm. cool. Yeah. And, and, like, Murphy's, mm. like, disdain there at the end when he's in the street yelling makes sense, too, because... The army being there is like part of this whole like getting the president's attention storyline, right? Like, oh yeah, an army battalion is here. They could report something up. Like, there's going to be a newspaper article about this, that sort of thing. It basically results in a huge shootout. Now, there's not a lot of regulators, at least in this movie. I just know, Steve, you said there was a lot more. Thirty or forty dudes in there. (laughs) <laughs> right. Yeah, the, I don't know how much larger. I don't know what the exact number is, but I do know definitively the group was larger than that. It, yeah. it may have been 10 or 15 guys, but it was bigger. It's 100 against five. You know, I like those odds. <laughs> it's 100 against five. <laughs> <laughs> Big shootout. Fortunately, none of the regulators get hit. You know, they have a lot of cover from where they are. One of the moments that I really like, though, is when Billy says... I see you got Charlie Crawford down there with you. <laughs> oh my God! Damn! Hey, Peppin! Charlie Crawford ain't with you anymore. <laughs> he shoots him right in the head. I love it. <laughs> That's actually the sequel we need: is the Ballad of Charlie Crawford, and give that dude some backstory just to get oh, him yeah. shot in the, the head. prequel. <laughs> yeah. The last scene is just him getting shot <laughs> for no reason. What's George Lucas doing? Let's get a prequel. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I mean, they're, they're clearly outnumbered. They don't have a lot of options. They do make it at least one day. I think in real life it was multiple days. But you know, they camp out there overnight. Yen soon runs into the house. You oh, know, you mean China? China, <laughs> China the famous WWF wrestler. Oh boy. You know, she leaves Triple H and she runs into the house. <laughs> oh. 
Uh, they end up setting the house on fire, right? So, mm. what I like is that there's kind of like a plan formed, like off screen, right, of, to make their way out, which is, <laughs> if you look at it, they don't have a lot of options. Like, there's really no way they can get out. There's no like back door, no way to get out. They're completely surrounded. So what they do is they toss Billy out in um, a chest. So stupid. It's one of the few <laughs> moments in this movie I really, I was just like, that really is fucking stupid. <laughs> wow. Man. Come on, Steve. Get on board. Seriously, Come Steve. On. Oh, no, the action's great, but they fucking put him, you don't even see them putting him in the thing, really. Just all of a sudden, this this, this uh, big case comes great. throwing out a second story window, <laughs> and then Billy comes popping out of it, both guns blazing. It's like, you, you picked this up and threw him out, threw it out with him in it. That's impressive already. He didn't break any bones or get knocked out when he hit the ground, and... And then he comes bursting at us. That was, I'm frankly, kind of a Michael Bay moment, if I'm being honest. In, in, in a slightly different world, what? it was Will Smith popping out of that case. What? <laughs> you know, and he has some sassy line to go along with it. Welcome to Earth. Oh, you think you've seen a bad cop before, huh? <laughs> no, his sassy line is... Yeah, I don't know. The, the shootout is not bad all in all, but that, that moment for me was not, not working. I think it's funny, but it's implausible for sure. Yeah. <laughs> My biggest question is, wh why does the Gatlin gun wait until, like, the very, very <laughs> Thank end? Thank you. Just to, like, gun down the lawyer. Like, why aren't they just demolishing that house? They gotta, you gotta use it on the, the most badass guy. The lawyer who was totally defenseless. Right, yeah. <laughs> the lawyer. He's never done anything before in his right. life. They wanted to send Locke straight to Purgatory. Why not just, right? Why not just set the house on fire <laughs> to begin with? Why not just Gatling gun it to begin with? They clearly didn't care whether or not the people inside the house lived. They weren't trying to spare any of their lives. They should have just set it on fire the moment they got there. There's a little conversation there about that in the movie that I read the script. You can hear him in the background speaking. Oh. And Murphy is like, when he's like, burn it, the colonel or whatever is like, are you serious? There's like a woman in there and she's your woman, the China woman. Oh, and he's like, right. I said, burn it. And the, the guy just looks at him and then he goes, and if you're not going to don't mind the two guys going around back or something like that. But it's, I mean, just, she wasn't, she, she wasn't in there to begin with though. I am just surprised Murphy's character didn't show up the, like with her still in tow and just was like, set it on fire or use the Gatling gun. I guess the Gatling gun showed up at the military, but <laughs> I figured he'd be the one that would just be like the immediately like set the whole fucking place on fire. It's not like he wants any of them to live. In real life, they did wait a few days before they put it on fire. So. That's true. That's bad I press, why. dude. I think it's bad press to light a building on fire with people inside of it. <laughs> fake news. Fake news. Oh, man. Yeah, fake news is right. <laughs> There's like this ballad of Chavez and Steve that goes on through the movie where <laughs> Steve's racist and Chavez wants to kill Steve. So they're both kind of assholes. And they have this really like cheesy moment earlier on where they're like, hey, you're all right, Steve, in the handshake. Damn good riding with you, Chavez. Many nights, my friend. Many nights I put a blade to your throat while you were sleeping. Glad I never killed you, Steve. You're all right. And then where it gets interesting for me, you think that'd be the end of it. But no, in this last scene, <laughs> he thinks that Chavez leaves him 
So he gets pissed and he goes on a huge rant in the attic, kicking stuff around. It's <laughs> he hilarious. Left us. And then he gets so pumped when he sees Chavez coming back to him. He's like, yeah. And then where it gets really, really interesting is when Chavez just doesn't give Steve a horse and leaves without him. What are they doing in this movie? What are you supposed to learn from this? How did he get away get and get to the horses? The house had a complete circle of people around The blocking it. is terrible in this scene. It's probably one of the big reasons you yes. don't like it. Right? Yes. Dude, Native American magic. That's how he got away. He fucking, he ninjaed his way out, which, you know, only he could do it. The house is completely surrounded. They're basically, in the ending, and this is, I think, your point, Josh, they're kind of saved by editing, right? Yeah. Yes. They're, they're facing impossible odds, and thanks to the editing, it's, it's made possible. <laughs> it's true. Steve did not need to die either in this. He should have, like, ridden off with Chavez. That makes a lot more sense to me. That's another one. Um, that character, I believe, yeah, Dirty Steve survived in real life. I don't know why they chose to kill him in the movie. What's really interesting about him, I think, is he left Lincoln almost immediately after this fight. He told everyone else that he was going to relocate to Denver, Colorado. And then, historically speaking, he just fucking disappears. Nobody has any idea whether or not he made it to Denver or where he's buried or anything. Mm. But he did live through that fight in real life. I know what happened to him. Do you? Yeah, he moved to Anaheim. And he had a son, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who loved the angels, but then he abandoned him like an asshole. Oh, okay. That's what it was. Don't you guys think that Chavez and Steve should have either died, like, protecting one another or, like, not died at all together instead of this weird, like, kind of, like, accidental thing or something? Oh. They could have rode off, like, Legolas and Gimli and, like, become besties? That's actually kind of what I was thinking. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Or at least like Steve could die like shooting someone really quick that was going to take Chavez out, you know, or something like that. But it's just because everybody want me to die. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, yeah, I agree with you, man. I don't know why they chose to have him die. It doesn't feel like there's a payoff for it. If he was going to die, then it should have been something like that. I agree with you. Jordan, what do you think about Charlie's death? I mean, it's pretty great. He finally, like, has a moment of bravery, kind of, and it just kind of rushes in and uh, kills... Uh, I forget who John the guy Kenny. is. John Kenny. You did not forget John Kenny. Kenny. <laughs> no, I, yeah. Apparently... Uh, I mean... Okay. I mean, Steve, I think I know what you're going to say. Apparently, Kenny has extra sound effects anytime he shoots his gun. It's a... <laughs> shoot! <laughs> And that was that was a real thing in the old west that John Kenny's gun made a, a unique Absolutely. Yeah, Doc Brown work on it. <laughs> but then Charlie also gains the superpower and has a special noise around Oops. his gun when he kills him. <laughs> There's something crazy going on with the sound effects when he like dies and you hear his like voice and echo and he's like <laughs> Please play that on the edit, Kyler. (laughs) Apparently, Tom Cruise is in this fucking movie, in this scene. I was just reading that as well. Where? You don't actually see his face. He's like the third or fourth guy out through a door in one of the scenes where the bad guys are like charging out. You do see him, but he has a a mustache. Yeah, I mean, you see his his body, but his face is kind of obscure. They kind of wanted to make a point and not having him be noticeable from what I've heard. I found the clip on YouTube and then I watched my version and I paused it. 
it does vaguely look like Tom Cruise, yeah. so it might be hmm. real. It's like kind of one of those things, like who knows, you know? I the story is, I believe that he was around that day on the on the launch doing something and Scientology, uh, right? Probably, and and ended up on <laughs> spreading the good ended word. up on the set in their sound stage or something to see what they were doing, and they. Uh, they they let him be in a shot. Like I, the story goes, he wanted to be in a western. This, this doesn't really count as being in a western if you're in it for three seconds with your obscured face. But whatever, mm-hmm. you know. You know. Always, he's always wanted to be in a western and a samurai movie, and he got both. I don't want to talk about the samurai. Uh, I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> Should have just called it the best samurai. You know what, Corey? <laughs> I will walk out of this podcast. <laughs> Steve Rage quits on air. Right. Not since spoilers has have we seen that happen. <laughs> Did somebody rage quit on spoilers? Hey, that's Didn't not someone aired. Rage quit? Not in an aired episode. <laughs> All right, sorry about that. Oh, that's a secret episode. I forgot. <laughs> Release the fucking rage quit episode. <laughs> oh, I Put do that want on to hear Patreon. that. Anyway. So, yeah, through the power of editing, the regulators, most of them make it out of there. At least the actors we care about, I think. Like, Emilio Estevez, Kiefer Sutherland, and Lou Diamond Phillips. They all get out of there, right? And they're all in the sequel, which is awesome. Yeah. LGP. (laughs) Uh, We talked about McSwing getting taken out by the Gatling gun, which... You know, what a hero that guy, right? Like, that's <laughs> what a way to go out. I mean, if you're going to get, like, shot in the Old West, like, that's the way, right? You want you want that to be the story. Like, yeah, they had to take me out with a fucking Gatling gun. The bitch is, like, whatever. You're, you're talking to someone in the afterlife. Like, <laughs> I was wondering who you're talking to there. Yeah. <laughs> or he's talking to someone on the Lost Island, actually. Yeah. Is he a major player in Lost? Yeah. He's Locke. He's, like, yeah. the bald guy that... Yeah, I would say he's a top top four or five character. Yes, I've never seen it, so for sure. But yeah, he's one of the main guys. That's cool. And he, yeah, Huge. he's completely like shaved bald with no mustache. He's kind of unrecognizable. Probably, yeah. It took me a couple viewings. I I completely forgot that that was the same dude. <laughs> it, do you guys like his character though, Steve, Stephen, Corey? Because like, on one hand, he's like refusing to take a gun from Billy, but it seems like the thinnest dumb excuse ever not to and then at the end he's just like rubbing it in their everyone's faces that billy got away he's like asking i don't know he goes like insane or yeah. something the, the arc with him makes no sense to me he's a, a semi-useless character to begin with except for a couple of moments of exposition where you need what he said to make sense but like yeah, other than that like he refuses to leave he refuses to take a gun and defend his home his whole MO at the end is just like I'm literally I'm, I'm not interested in doing anything except sitting here and letting them kill me like, why? I don't understand you won't do anything you won't do anything he has accepted his fate he uh, knows there's a greater work at play and that work is the legend of Billy the right? <laughs> sure <laughs> he's more interested in the legend you know he's concerned about things like this podcast like yeah, is there going to be a podcast on Young Guns one day? Well, here's a detail <laughs> I noticed about Locke. There's that Pals. scene where the regulators all go in and they turn in their badges. And they're all kind of pissed at him because he's a useless lawyer, like you said. And they throw their right. badges in the ground. But Kiefer is like a poet good boy. <laughs> and he takes it up and hands it to him. And as they're riding off, you can see Locke in the background tossing it out into the fields. <laughs> he's kind of a dick. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck this piece of shit. <laughs> 
You can take this badge and shove it. <laughs> it ends with an epilogue by, uh, I guess, the actor with the nicest voice. Keep well, her- there is that. I don't want to skip just this one very brief moment where they get out and Murphy is still alive <sighs> and. Billy, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, rides his horse right back into the line oh, of yeah. fire yeah, yeah. and just puts a bullet in Murphy's head and leaves. What a legend. What a legend. <laughs> Manages not to get shot or followed or anything. Again, the Gatlin gun pointed the wrong direction. Well, the way it's framed is there's no other, there's no soldiers or anything. <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, nobody runs after me. Okay, anyway, but yeah, then they go to the, the epilogue, the voiceover. Yeah. Devices from Lincoln report that Jose Chavez, E. Chavez, moved to California where he changed his name and took work on a fruit ranch. Josiah Doc Skurlock was reported to have left the West for the East, taking with him a celestial bride, her mother, and 14 brothers and sisters. Susan McSween went on to see both her husband and John Tunstall's dreams to fruition by becoming one of the most prominent cattlewomen of all time. Governor Axtell was forced to resign by President Rutherford B. Hayes. Both the Murphy Dolan faction and the Santa Fe ring collapsed. William H. Bonney, also known as Billy the Kid, continued to ride, never leaving New Mexico. He was caught in Fort Sumner by the sheriff, Pat Garrett, and killed. Sources report that he was unarmed and shot in the dark. He was buried with Charlie Bowdry at Old Fort Sumner. Advices report that sometime later, an unidentified person snuck into the graveyard and chiseled an inscription. The epitaph read only one word. House. Which again, they did not anticipate the sequel. So yeah, that's another thing. I forgot that that voiceover was there at mm. the end, and then I'm thinking to myself, "But you made a fucking sequel." <laughs> like, all right, whatever. But the official uh. history of Billy the Kid is that he died by Pat Garrett, right? So like, the sequel kind of yeah. plays into that in a way. I don't want to give too much away. I guess that's true. I, you know what? Honestly, it's been so long. You don't have to give anything away now, but it's been so many years since I actually sat through two. And I'm not saying it was bad or anything, but it's just been so long since I've seen it. I don't remember what the bulk of the story was. It starts so. off with an old man in the desert, and he's like, "Oh yeah, oh I, okay, I remember that you part." Heard the official yeah. story, <laughs> right? It's basically Dune. There's a really, I don't want to go off on too big a change, but there's a really, really fascinating story, I think, surrounding something sort of like that at the end of Howard Hughes's life, where a guy showed up claiming that 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 Howard Hughes wrote a will for him, and it was it's a very interesting story, so why don't you make a movie out of that? Anyway. Weird. Yeah. Before we do ratings, do any of you guys have any final thoughts about the movie itself? Emilio Estevez had recently broken up with a girlfriend when they started shooting and was apparently pretty depressed at the beginning of the movie. And um, I guess at least once, if not multiple times, Lou Diamond Phillips convinced the makeup people and the wardrobe people to put a dress and makeup on a sheep and leave it in Emilio Estevez's dressing room. So that happened. Why? Like he's a (laughs) sheep fucker? (laughs) Right. Um, Charlie Sheen apparently hated horses and could barely ride. And during one of the uh, shootout scenes, the horse rode off with him on it, wouldn't stop. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's why they killed him off soon. (laughs) Right. And then speaking of which, his death, I should have mentioned we were talking about it. His death in real life, I won't get too graphic, was was way worse. Way, way worse. Get graphic with it. Well, basically, he lost most of his head. It was apparently pretty terrible. So, yeah, they, they softened that up for the movie. From bullets or what? Yeah, yes. from, from from taking a shot to the head, yeah. Even if they would have gone that hardcore, someone on a another podcast from would be bullets. like, but he looks so stupid getting his head blown off. <laughs> <laughs> looks stupid without a head. 
How is he supposed to ride without his head? <laughs> then they'd be like, I didn't even watch the movie. Oh, cheers. <laughs> that wasn't Stevie, though. Let's just be clear about that. No, I know. <laughs> no, nothing but respect for Stevie. He's been on this podcast many times. But yeah. Uh, Jordan and Josh, any final thoughts before ratings? I would just say for you three specifically, I just wanted to let you guys know that you have to test yourselves every day, gentlemen. <laughs> and when you stop, that's when they kill you. <laughs> I don't wanna. Steve, you're gonna fail the test. <laughs> All right. Uh. I love it. Let's get into ratings. Josh, on any rating scale you want, what are you gonna give Young Guns? I'm gonna give it three or four pals out of ten. On one hand, out of it's, ten? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, here, listen, like, listen, hear <laughs> me. Matter chance. <laughs> I, I would say like it's not that great of a movie, movie, and mm. I can recognize that. I enjoy the hell out of it. There's a million nostalgia points added on to those three or four pals out of 10 as well. But it sounds like a low rating, but three or four pals, that's a tribe. And if you got yourself a tribe, ain't nothing stronger than that. <laughs> I'm so mad at you right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, we've, we've caused a family rift with this. Huge rift, huge rift. <laughs> Steve, on any rating scale you want, what are you going to give Young Guns? On a scale of one to ten cowboys who have something the kid in their nicknames, um, I'm going to give it a five out of ten. It's it's not a bad movie, and I really liked watching it when I was a kid. Almost, even though it wasn't one of my household's like favorite westerns, it was a western we kind of liked, and almost any time it was on movie channels, I would sit through it, but I agree with Josh's review. In retrospect, it's just like, it's it's not terrible, but it's, it's not also not very good. There were some scenes I liked and a lot that I had trouble with. I would say it ends up being about average. I wouldn't pick it out as being bad, but definitely not on the same level as something like an Unforgiven or a True Grit. So I'll go 5 out of 10. All right. Well, I'm going to give it the actual rating, the definitive rating of the podcast. <laughs> I'm going to give it a Nine 7 out of, out of 10 peyote trips <gasps> because this movie may not be great, but it is a lot of fun and it is very watchable. Like, this is a watchable movie. You can just put it on and it's easy to sit through. It's easy to follow along with. It's fun. It's funny. It's got some action. It's... um stupid as fuck sometimes <laughs> but that's okay what's what's wrong with that you know for all intents and purposes this movie is fun enough to like negate that i think it's just like an easy to watch western and so so nostalgic for me like big time with this movie man i'm telling you this movie was playing a lot in my household like a fucking lot <laughs> hell yeah man and uh, i dig it for that I like the actors in it as well. Like it, just seeing Emilio Estevez have a good time, like really makes me happy. Like when he, he wasn't even, screwing a sheep. Yeah, when he's not sh fucking a sheep. <laughs> this motherfucker ain't one of us. He fucks a sheep. <laughs> anyway, uh, I, I just love seeing like him laugh his ass off and then shoot someone in the head. It's it's great. <laughs> Brother Jordan, on any rating scale you want, what are you gonna give Young Guns? He ain't all there, is so he? Was, <laughs> Korean all, all there, there. I was going to do it on a six point scale Because of the six pals But I think we should include Tunstall on that And that brings it to five 
five, five pals out of seven pals. <laughs> As you guys said, not not Wait, perfect. Does that count McCloskey? No, fuck McCloskey. Yeah, what are you talking about? We He's saw that. <laughs> What's five out of seven as a percentage? Ah, that's that's the whole point. No, it's it's good. As Corey said, it's super watchable. I think it is a unique kind of snapshot of time with Lou Diamond Phillips at his handsomest, uh, Charlie Sheen at his tamest, Kiefer and Emilio like at acceptable levels, not too much, and yeah, I. It's super watchable, not always the best cinematic experience, let's say. Uh, but yeah, I, it, it's good. I I think it's very entertaining and very funny in places too. Uh, yeah, five out of seven pals. Yeah, awesome. Thank you guys very much. And I'm I'm glad that we got a chance to do this like at least positive spin on the movie Young Guns because. I love spoilers. I'm a member of spoilers. We're going to talk about spoilers in a second. But that Young Guns episode is fucking depressing. <laughs> <laughs> I've never listened back. It's a really early Refuse. episode of spoilers. I think it's like 30-something. And uh, I don't know. Crew's still getting their feet wet then. And I think like... No, I get it. Patty and Stevie <laughs> talked about this earlier. It, are a lot of shows like this with a lot of episodes? Like you get to a certain point and you kind of hit a wall. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I know what you mean. Some of our early episodes here on Big Dumb Movie are not great for a lot of reasons. Content and uh, audio quality uh, are two of the big ones, but it that's happens. okay. It takes a while to get things figured out. Yeah, exactly. But let's talk a little bit more about spoilers. Josh, maybe you can take the reins on that one and tell people like where they can hear more of you and Brother Jordan here. Yeah, so like earlier I said, this is Josh from Spoilers, and that's spoilers with an exclamation point podcast and we review movies kind of like Corey does here we love we all love Corey's show he's on our show it's a big happy family um we have a patreon i don't know if i'm supposed to shout out that on this but you know hell yeah you know you- <laughs> it's always about the money with you <laughs> big dumb movies getting monetized <laughs> on youtube we got our patreon patreon.com slash podcast spoilers and yeah hopefully both pods big things coming down the road hell yeah if you, the listeners, want to write in, you can email us at bigdumbmovie at gmail.com. If you're feeling really friendly, leave us a positive rating and written review on Apple Podcasts. That's the best thing you can do for us. If you're listening on YouTube, give us a thumbs up. If you're not listening on YouTube, go to YouTube and give us a thumbs up anyway. <laughs> leave us a comment. <laughs> if you want to read a shitstorm of bad comments we got, look at the Rise of the Silver Surfer episode. <laughs> And then feel bad oh for us boy. and leave us a good one. <laughs> that person's insane. I hope you're listening. They just hate listen to us. I love it. <laughs> and then he left his own review of the movie on our review. Do you want to do reviews to have your own channel? Why would you go to someone else's movie review and leave your own review? <laughs> Fucking idiotic. Anyway. I believe he said that we're hacks. You're a moron. I mean, I think he actually used the phrase listen and learn, bro, in one of his comments. Like, hey, fuck you. <laughs> He's Sorry, just hacking on you, Steve. Right? Yeah, this is exactly. Don't hang on me. Hack on me. Wait, he said listen and learn and left and left a written comment? Right? I mean, he literally <laughs> wrote out like, it's like four or five separate comments so he could get it all in. And it's mostly his own review of the movie, which he, he ends up basically agreeing with us about. But that, well, he's also telling us we're wrong. Like, I don't know. It's a head case. Start your own channel in that case. <laughs> yeah, that dude was off his meds that day. Right? <laughs> All right. Thank you guys for listening. It's been a fun episode. 
Thank you guys, Josh, Jordan, and Steve for joining us. We love you fans. Good night. Taking way longer than I thought it would. <laughs>